Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, yes, happy Monday. So I realized I put these headphones on today and they're falling apart. So I had on my list to investigate some new headphones. And I think I have a pair uh, set up <laughs> to order, but that kind of got moved to the forefront. I didn't realize these were in such bad shape. I've had these a long time. So, um, yeah, actually have a, I'm going to replace, uh, the webcam, the microphone, um, the headphones, and then actually I'm going to get a new headset. Uh, so quite a few things going on, uh, down here. I've got everything picked out, but welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. And I also wanted to share right off the bat, that we have an awesome guest lined up for October 10th. So let me just back this out so you can see the um, the thumbnail for that. All right, Megan Usui is going to be our guest on October 10th and she is a fitness professional in the greater Seattle, Washington area and Megan is going to talk about what really motivates us to um, to work out, right? And part of this is with my book, The Velocity of Information. Um, I had a chapter in there of, you know, back at the start of the pandemic, if we just would have had a fitness campaign, right? We know that uh, fitness increases immunity. Immunity obviously would be a good thing during a pandemic. Um, but what would that have, have looked like? Like what really motivates people? So I wrote about the actual campaign, but I didn't write about what motivates people, right? Would have been probably a good thing to have interviewed Megan like before I wrote the book, but um, but I I think this will be phenomenal. Um, Megan is just outstanding, right? So she is, yeah, she'll be our guest on October 10th. And it's fascinating, right? Depending upon your age, depending upon if you're like exercising or trying to get fit with your family or trying to do something at work. Um, so, and, and so, yeah, I am thrilled. So get that on your calendar two weeks from today. Uh, Megan will be on the show. Also, Lisa Lenne will be back on the show. Uh, she's our attorney friend from the greater Houston area. So Lisa and I were communicating today, and she is going to help us through an episode of the law of necessity. So, you know, what that is, is, you know, let's say, you know, somebody is a child with autism wanders into a woods, but the woods is parked, is marked no trespassing. So like you'd have to break the law to trespass to try to find the child. So this whole law of necessity, what does it mean? And how might we encounter this during our lives, our everyday lives, right? The law of necessity, um, which is really a defense. And then we're going to talk about Good Samaritan, 
a little bit too. Uh, so our good friend, attorney Lisa Lenny is going to um, help us out with that. And that will be in the next couple of weeks uh, that she will be on the show. So two, two terrific guests on deck. So, wow, this is, this is great. So um, I wanted to share with you, we do have the, we do have the, um, let me see here, the safety cam. So, well, I need to, I need to mute. There we go. Safety cam has been muted. Bad safety cam. All right. Okay, let's make this uh, make this work here, and there we go. And I'll switch this out. Okay, so there's a safety cam. All right, hey safety cam, I'm gonna move you a little bit here. So keep going, keep going, safety. Oh, safety cam almost wiped it out. So I guess that's pretty good for the safety cam. So our friend, the safety cam is over here. So thank you, safety cam. Um, and yeah, so you get to see. Again, I really like how this wall kind of turned out here in the studio. Got my $7 sport coat on and, and we are ready to go. Um, but yeah, let, let's um, let's talk about um, what our our show is going to be today. But actually, before we do that, let me let me share a screen here. And uh, let me do this, bring the safety cam out. Um, what was it? Saturday. So Saturday I had... Um, four cords of firewood, um, not four, um, yeah, four cords of firewood delivered. So what you see over here, over here, these are the four cords. And this this is wood from last year that didn't get burned. So that's first burn. But yeah, that's four cords of firewood. Or, so I take that, I take that down um, in a canvas bag from my garage to the basement and then stack it. That is 10, right here is 10,000 pounds of firewood. That is actually 10,000 pounds of firewood. So yeah, that is pretty crazy. So it's too deep, you know, and, and it goes almost up to the rafters there. And then I had to do this like special crisscross brace wing over here, which this is pretty solid. Um, I'll probably like build it up a little bit here yet um, to support it. And I might take it down a little bit. Um, but yeah, this is kind of all woven together and there'll be another row that started here. I th there's still three cords to, to arrive. Right. Um, so this will, this will come out further and then I'll kind of weave it all together and then this will get built out a little bit too. Um, so yeah, this is all Oak and it will burn hot. Um, great stuff. And yeah, I heat my house with wood. So right now, you know, we're kind of in that transition where actually next week it's going to be back in the 70s, but uh, probably four or five weeks I'll, I'll be starting. And then once you start, it's kind of like every day, right? You know, just heating the house with wood until probably early April um, here in Wisconsin. So, but there it is. And I did that all in one day, which I was going to spread it out, but you know, I, I was feeling, I was feeling good as I was like hauling this down and right. You feel really sore the next day. <laughs> so I was like, well, um, you know, it is, uh, I'm just going to stay with it. So, uh, let's see here. Let's see here. The chat, uh, Joe Morris is saying, um, Hey, keep the bugs out of the basement deck. Yeah. So this is, 
this wood supplier has has been my my go-to for about 10 years and then i will burn most of that if not all of that like all of this will will probably be all of this will be gone and most of this will be gone i think i had well this was left over which was really about like you know about a cord um and i don't really have any bug issues with this it's really clean he keeps it inside and and stuff but uh but yeah, so I'm in good I'm in good shape there. Um, so that is good. So hey, to uh, just want to give a shout out here to All Pro Leventon, to my good friend Spambot Fighter. Hey Spambot, I saw like you gave a very generous super chat. I think it was to Bacon. So if we ever get monetized, um, I don't know. It would be uh, it's exciting to think of the first super chat to the to the show. So sadly, I will miss the October 10th stream. That is a Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Well, you can have it on on replay. So appreciate that. Um, well, happy Thanksgiving. It's Misty, Mrs. Wayne. Hey there. And uh, let's see who else we got here. We got Ron Wayne, Gabolo, and uh, Seltzer Surfer. Bolo Singh Super Pilish mentioned your idea today about Kim's Game. Yeah, so I wrote about Kim's Game in um, in my first book here, School of Airs. And let me get this up. Uh, out of there. So I wrote about this uh, Kim's game in School of Airs, which is a, a free and terrific way to increase situational awareness and, and memory skills. Um, so this um, again, you know, if you if you haven't read it, right, or if you have read it, it's, it this book is twenty dollars. And um, please leave a review. We've been at fifty four reviews for a long time, so leave a review. And also my other book here, The Velocity of Information. Yeah, um, that one's also kind of been at 21 reviews for a long time. So check it out. Um, School of Errors is available in hard copy for like 30 paperback, I think 22, and then ebook, and then um, audiobook that I narrated for 1099. And I got my first audiobook royalty payment today. So, oh my God, not a lot of money, but fun. You know, like I wanted to do an audiobook, and that first royalty payment came in today. And then, um, this book is available in hard copy, paperback, and ebook. Um, April twelfth, it'll be available in audio, which is already done. I just got to press a button, but uh, it's kind of a contractual thing going on there. So yeah, two great books today. Just uh, let me tell you guys. So today I had a phone call with the head of uh, school safety for a state. I'm not going to mention the state, but we've been in contact, kind of going back, back and forth. And I will say, like, this is a state that I think does school safety right. Does a, is a nation leader and exemplar, I would say. And uh, so we've been in contact uh, back and forth. And I wanted to set up a time when we could talk and I could have a few questions ahead of time of say, like, you know, tell me about this and this and this. But a really great guy. You know, the state is, is very progressive. Um, so at some time, I'll kind of get more into that. But right now, um, it, it, it's just really cool to have these connections, right? Where you can talk to, um, you know, somebody who's in that type of position, right? And then I can get more information on what I'm doing for safety. And, and, uh, but anyway, it, it was, it was just really, really good call this morning. Um, I also had a call with, uh, or had Mike Dahl, which is, uh, the head of Wisconsin esports, helped me understand esports you know, or, or electronic um, gaming comp uh, teams and schools. And that's growing here in my state. It's growing nationwide. And I think it's it's terrific. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with it. And I wanted to know more. Mike, you know, made it, you know, gave me some time to interview him. 
I like I'm going to have him on the show. I'm going to have him on the show at some time, but that'll probably be asynchronous, like a premiere. Um, and I put together a three-page document that I'm sharing in my university classes about esports because I also think esports is a terrific way to involve students with disabilities in sports. And there's all this crazy, not crazy stuff, but crazy awesome stuff. Like you can go in Thingiverse and find adaptive controllers. You know, if you have like mild neurological condition like cerebral palsy or something, just is really, really terrific. Um, uh, what what is being done with esports and then the support for esports. So um, I'm glad I'm able to share that out in my classes. And so it's just it's it's good stuff. Um, so let's see here. Let me bring bring back the uh the cam there so whoa we got this we got this side cam whoa whoa um whoa and guys we also got we also got this going on um dun, dun, dun. so give a thumbs up here there we go we got it on the side but let me do it over here like if you if you uh you know can give a thumbs up you can share the show if you can watch it uh you know, at a different time and th stuff like that. It's all appreciated. That's the thumbs up there. So thank you very much. And we're like, wow, wow, right? And we're, we're all like all this stuff, like all celebrating. So I appreciate that. So let me give you an update. We are closing in on 4,000 watch hours, which is really awesome. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, just very excited uh kind of overall here with with what's happened with the channel. I dropped um, a YouTube short this week that got almost 6,000 views. It, it was my neighbors had a tree a tree removed and the, the grinding machine was over there. Um, and that thing got almost six, you know, 6,000 views. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, you know, it's all, it's all good stuff. And, you know, again, we've kind of stuck with this regular Monday show. So this will also come out in audio on Podbean. If you go to safetyphd.com, all of my all of my stuff is uh, is out there. So, um, yeah, that is that is really great, great stuff. So um, I already have the pod. I already have the blog post written for this one. So um, let's go over here. Safety cam and primary cam. Are oh my god, spam my father, we got it right because it was doing this weird <laughs> reversed image thing for like the longest time. And my goodness, we've sussed that out. So, believe it or not, Andrew's like, Hey, I just got back from Sam's Club buying Mountain Dew. I'm down to like two bottles of Mountain Dew. I've got a lot of Pepsi, but I don't have a lot of Dew right now. So, um Yes, uh, my rather generous super chat for the bacon on his stream is to help him obtain the various suggested single malts and related spirits I've recommended to him. So you were very generous to a bacon spam bot or spam bot uh, fodder. So yes, hey, it's Vanessa Kitty. Hey, Vanessa, welcome, welcome. So yeah, um, I am, um, you know, so Today's show is going to focus on comfort animals, then also ADA animals. So I teach, you know, aspiring superintendents, legal issue, you know, courses, and then also aspiring special education directors. And this is an area that um, comes up in districts, right? It can be one of those things where, you know, you haven't had a service animal um, in a district for, you know, several years, and then suddenly a student moves in 
or even a staff member, right? And they have a service animal, which is typically a dog, but not always. And then how do you address that, right? Who takes the animal to the bathroom? And, you know, people are like, what if I'm allergic to a dog and all this stuff? So I'm going to go through that today because I have a case study built on this. And we're going to go through the case study today that I share with my students. And I always tell them, look back on your school policy. What does your school policy say for a um, service animal and for a comfort animal, which are two different things. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, now, the first thing is many, um, let me kind of get the main screen here. So, so many people with disabilities use a, a service animal in order to fully participate in everyday life. Uh, dogs can be trained to perform many important tasks to assist people with disabilities, such as providing stability. When they're walking, they can the, the dog can pick things up. Um, it can help move a wheelchair, um, alerting a person who has hearing loss when someone is approaching. And, and there's just you know many areas where a service animal um, can, can and does benefit somebody. And actually going back to the history of service animals, although service animals are relatively new in, in ADA, you know, we, we kind of go back to 1990, service animals were around after, you know, World War One. you know, for uh, war veterans, right? So German shepherds being trained. So if we really go back into the history of service animals, you were going back 100 years. But uh, so the question is, how do schools address service animals? So somebody come, you know, a parent comes in and says, my child has a service animal. Um, you know, what are the questions that the school asks? Do they have to get a certificate? You know, of, does the animal need to be insured? Um, what are the questions and what is legal, what's not legal? And then we also have um, a, another area, which is a comfort animal. You probably saw things like this. Um, it made the news a couple of years ago, like United Airlines or whatever. Somebody tried to take a peacock on an airline. Not a, not Limu Emu, right? But a peacock on an airline. And by the way, hello, CNT. Hey, buddy. Good to you. Good to see you here. So, um, but so what it, What qualifies as a comfort animal? Is a school required to allow a student to have a comfort animal? What is it? There's a process, right, that schools have to go through. What does policy look like? So we're going to get into that today. And this is always a very um, interesting case study because when I direct students in my class who are, you know, either first year principals or superintendents or whatever, you know, back to their policies, uh, you know, like half of them will say this is addressed in policy or, you know, the other half will say like, well, we don't have a policy for this or I'm not sure how we would handle this. And it's one of those things that is, it's pressing, but it's not like emergency, right? You know, you probably have a few days, if not a week, to get this figured out. It's not like our student with autism who wandered into a woods and we have to make a decision like, boom, just like that. But you have to, if you don't have a policy in place, this gets very hard to navigate for schools. Um, so it's good to have a policy in place. So so let's, let's talk about that first of all. Is it common to have a service animal in school? Not really. Um, I've been, you know, as a school administrator, it would be not every year, but, you know, maybe every other year, every third year, there might be a service animal, which was typically a service dog 
that would be in school. So it wasn't that common. Actually, when I worked at the School for the Blind, I expected that there would be a pretty high number of guide dogs, right, of, of service animals. And that wasn't the case at all. There wasn't one. Um, and that kind of surprised me. But, um, but yeah, students are, are taught um, efficiency or how to navigate right with, with their cane. And um, it, I, there wasn't a service animal in my entire time, which was like four years. We didn't have one service animal at the, at the school for the blind, which is, which is kind of like counterintuitive, right? I mean, you would think that would be the, if, if there were to be a service animal, right, there would be service animals at the school for the blind. But um, so, so what I'm going to do is let's just, we got two things we're going to talk about here. The first is um, a, a service animal. So service animal is is identified and protected under the American with Disabilities Act, which is 1990, right? So um, somebody can take, uh, can come into any, any public setting and usually any private setting with an ADA um, animal. Um, so an ADA animal, and we'll get into that exactly what that is in just a second. And so that's one part we're going to talk about is an ADA, American with Disabilities Act animal, which a lot of people think of as like a, a guide dog, right? The other part we're going to get into is something which is newer, but something that is really uh, expanding quickly. And this is the whole emotional support animal or ESA area to the point where um, airlines have needed, have come out and made statements of ESAs. And airlines, airlines after I think the peacock, right? Someone tried to bring a peacock on a plane. So I'm not sure a peacock is like the friendliest animal to have around you, but, um, but you know, they they the airlines uh, collectively kind of came together with with um, ESA of, as far as like having people submit ahead of time to the airlines, and then there's there's some determination they make, but um, but yeah, so ES, ESAs in schools are are growing significantly. And I'm not going to, you know, really say like this is good or, or bad. I'm just going to tell you what what is happening. And that's, you know, 20 years ago, uh, uh, a service animal. So 20 years ago, you might have seen somebody bring in a dog, right, to school where, um, for for maybe half a day or something, where the dog was there for, you know, would visit classrooms and anybody could pet the dog and and stuff like that. So kind of like this global emotional support animal, not assigned to one person. Um, what's happened to today, you know, if we were just to go, what is an emotional support animal today? There are things from chickens <laughs> to flying sugar gliders to snakes. Snakes are a pretty common um, one. Believe it or not, yeah, snakes are pretty common. Um, chickens, rabbits, uh, it, it can kind of go down the line, but those are those are you know kind of some of your more prevalent emotional support animals and those aren't necessarily like just for a school right we don't have a we don't have uh you know chester the chicken here as our our school emotional support animal it's usually assigned to one student one student is bringing in you know the the chicken or rudy the rooster or something so um but so so let's get into this what is a service animal. Before I do that, let me check the, the chat. So uh, Vanessa is saying, I am thinking Llama or Sp uh, Spot the Robot Dog from Boston Dynamics as a service animal. Oh my goodness. That's, you know, interesting that you mentioned that, Vanessa, because at some point, right, um, someone, you know, with a Boston Dynamics type 
dog or something, someone will will bring that forward to a school or to a college or to someplace um, as a as a service animal, right? Or as not, not a service animal, but providing emotional support, emo, emotional support machine or something like that. That will happen. That's probably not long down the road. I mean, that could happen almost any day. So that's really interesting you mentioned that. I hadn't thought about that. And I, I'm going, you know, now that you mentioned it, Vanessa, I'm actually going to include that when I do this case study in my upcoming class. Um, I'm going to flip it toward the end and say, well, what if, you know, what if it was, right? Someone brings in a, a dog from Boston Dynamics. Well, you know, and, and I know where that'll go. I know people will be like, well, does it have a video camera, right? Is it recording what's happening in the school and around the school? And is it streaming out because then that's, or is it not? Or, you know, these type of things. I don't know. Um, that is interesting. Wow. Vanessa saying, yeah, we, we sent an info to Airliner from my husband's service dog. Okay. So ESA, um, for service dog, which is different than ESA. Gotcha. Tarantulas. I don't know, man. Not for me. Um, speaking of, I uh, haven't heard of Chester's Chicken in over 12. We have a Chester's Chicken here in town. It's part of a gas station. Never, never been there, but it is here. So Chester's Chicken. Um, so what is a service animal? So this is more traditionally what we think of when we th we we th are, are thinking of someone that has a a support animal, right? A service animal. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, again, I have my, my note screen over here, monitor screen over here, you guys in front of me. So you see me kind of looking around like, stock staring down a ghost? Not yet, I'll let you know. Um, what is a service animal? Under the Americans with Disabilities Act 1990 that was passed, ADA, a service animal is defined as a dog or other animal that has been individually trained to, to do work or perform tasks for an individual with a disability. The task performed by the dog must be direct, directly related to the person's disability. It is almost a certainty that a school district has a board policy about service animals. So the dog is performing something specific. If the student is unable because of disability to open a door, to um, to propel themselves, right? The dog can help uh, move the, the wheelchair, can pick things up off of the, the floor and you know, put them in the lap of the the person, and so um, there. You know, these would be, be these would be different aspects of a service animal. Now, everything you know so far, it's I've said dog, but actually, a miniature horse is accepted by the by ADA as a service animal. So this is something too, like the ADA on a, for what is a service animal. Most of the language is dog, but somewhere it got challenged and miniature horse was accepted. So you will, you, the a point also is that this is flexible, right? Um, I, I guess um, what, what is a service animal is up to a little bit of, a little bit of debate. It ha it's really more on, it's trained to do a specific task for the individual with a disability for a long time, that was dog. Now it's miniature horse, and who knows if that will expand out to something else. But, uh, but so that's the first thing. That is a service animal. So that's our first thing. the The second thing we've been, and most school boards now will have a policy for a service animal. You know, saying if a staff or student um, has a disability, um, that they will 
be um, the service animal will be permitted to be with them in the facility. So, um, but let's talk about the other uh, part of the show, which is emotional support animal or ESA as, as it's more commonly known. So an ESA is defined as an animal that alleviates one or more identified symptoms or effects of a person's disability. An emotional support animal, which could be a pig, a chicken, a snake, a sugar, a sugar glider, or et cetera, um, is recognized as a reasonable accommodation for a person with a disability under the Federal Fair Housing Act and may be a reasonable accommodation under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. Section 504 goes along in schools with special education, right? So schools would need to consider an emotional support animal under Section 504, again, which is goes along with special education. And ESA, also referred to as an assistance animal, is not a pet, according to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. However, no special training is required for an animal to be considered an ESA. So that's different, right? We have our service animal, which you know, maybe as a dog that is trained to open doors, uh, pick something up for somebody if it's on, on the ground, maybe help move them along in a wheelchair. That's not required. Um, or if it's somebody, right, who's visually impaired, that that dog is helping them, you know, to, um, with their navigation of an area, that's not required of an emotional support animal. There's no special training for an emotional support animal. And again, remember, so the, um, U.S. Department of Housing is saying like, so So if you apply for um, a rental unit, right, and you have an emotional support animal and the landlord's like, I don't know, you know, this is, uh, we're not used to having Rudy the Rooster in our in our building, you know, they they could challenge that under the, um, the U.S. Department of Housing and say, you know, this is a, a um, emotional support animal um, and it would probably be pretty hard for the landlord to to challenge that the way that the um, the the legislations and the ruling has gone down under the Fair Housing Act. So, but if you have an emotional support animal, it doesn't need any training. It doesn't need to do anything special for the individual. Um, so, I guess it is you know you're, you're claiming it's benefiting the individual, but there's no special training re required. What is necessary is that the person with the ESA has a disability and the ESA mitigates the impact of the disability. So that probably clarifies what I just said previously. So if if you're saying, um, you know, my child has anxiety, right? And and this um, service animal like Peggy, the comfort pig, mitigates the impact of the anxiety, which is a medical diagnosis, decreases the number of um manic episodes of anxiety and or something, you know, that that can probably be measurable, right? Um, that then th this ESA, right, is mitigating the impact of a disability. Um, so one thing too in schools, schools are, are pretty thorough with ESA or, or with um, ADA, animal, ADA animals, like a, a service animal, which would be a dog or even a miniature horse. I've never seen a miniature horse as a service animal, by the way, but um, but board policy is very inconsistent for emotional support animals, very inconsistent. Some, some districts have nothing at all. So we go through this in my classes, right? What do you have? Um, and so, so that, is, that is less precise in districts. And what we do in class, right, is say, if you don't have a policy, you should you know, work 
look at district that have policy and decide where you want to go with that because it's probably just a matter of time. And again, you don't want to craft a policy in response to somebody who wants to bring an ESA into your building. Um, so let's go. So we have two things that we've kind of talked about already. So one is that we have a service animal. So a service animal is under the um, Americans with Disabilities Act, which is 1990. It's trained, right, to specifically do things for the person with a disability. You know, maybe, you know, again, you can think of a guide dog maybe in, in that aspect or, or if it's somebody um, in a wheelchair where this dog can, you know, reach down and get things or carry a backpack or, or you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is, there's, there's a function um, there that a task that is being performed. And because the person has a disability, they can't perform that task. And ESA um, is meant to mitigate the effects of a disability. And this is, again, ESA is emotional, so right there. A lot of ESAs are, you'll, you'll see the diagnosis of anxiety will be very prevalent, uh, maybe, you know, depression, things like that. So, so the ESA will be more along that line. And ESA isn't necessarily um, trained to do any specific task. It's it's just having the ESA present is mitigating the person's anxiety, depression, or other emotional um, need. So those are those are two different two different things. So um, so how how do you know? So if you're a school district, right? Everybody asks this question. They're like, you're a school district, and somebody you know somebody moves in here, and they're like, hey, like we have um, you know our our child. Um, utilizes a service animal, right? Um, so what, you know, what are the questions that you can ask as a school to um, get more information to either like authenticate that that is actually a service dog and just not the family pet? Um, what can you ask? Is there a certain level of uh, training materials, insurance and all of this stuff? So here are here are the two questions that you can ask under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So the first thing is, is the dog or service animal a, a service animal because of a disability? So that's one thing you're saying. Do you have this because of a, of a disability? That's your first question that you're allowed to ask. This, and if the person says, yes, um, I have this, the dog is here because I have a disability, right? The second question you can ask is what work or task does that dog or service animal, um, what have they been trained to perform? You know, is it to, um, you know, guide you into certain areas? Is it to, again, open doors? Is it to carry a, a backpack? Is it to, you know, what what is it, right? So those are the two questions. Again, so this kind of gets narrow, right? Because people come in and they say, well, you know, we need a, um, we need to have proof of that the animal's been trained, like so. But you really you can't ask that, right? You can't ha you can't well you can ask it, I guess, but you're not supposed to ask it. And if someone if a parent doesn't provide that or a guardian to you, that that doesn't uh, give you the right then to say no, this animal can't be here. So the two questions that you can legally ask is is the let's say the service animal, right? Typically a dog required because of a disability. Okay, if the answer is yes, then you say, what work or task has that service animal been trained to perform? So those are your two questions. 
Um, if either of those responses are no, it's not because of a disability or it's not been specifically trained, then the animal is permitted only as an emotional support animal, right? So this is where it gets into kind of a murky area with schools. Um, you know, if a school district comes out and says, we are, you know, you're saying this is a service dog and we're asking you for, you know, either it's like rabies shots records or we're asking you for where it was trained and what kind of training it went through. If, you know, the, the parent can provide that, but under ADA law, they're not required to, you know, prove that to you. They just, they have to make these, these two, these two statements. Districts can kind of press this and I've seen districts do that where they'll, they'll press it a little bit, but if a parent was to press back, ADA is definitely on the side of the parents with this case. So this is like, you know, how do you, so there's, so there is this question, you know, that comes up frequently. Oh, Dave, how do we know that this isn't just like the family dog that the kid likes and it's here? And they said, well, it's, you know, it went through a training program and it's, um, you know, it helps the child with, you know, guiding them around the school or whatever it is. I'm like, well, you know, so tough calls, right? Because the way the ADA is, you can only go so far with your line of inquiry. Um, if you go any deeper than that, I'd say that child, you know, the dog can't be here unless he shows you has its shots and, you know, all of that type of stuff, you know, it's rabies and well, that's not going to fly. So, um, so let me go over here to um, the chat. So um, it is... Uh, right here so misty mrs wayne we have a pet parakeet all right so parakeet right which would be possibly if it was to come to a school esa right if a, if a student brought a parakeet and they'd have to have some you know uh, rationale for how the parakeet objectively um helps them with an emotional area, which could be anxiety, it could be depression. Um, wouldn't be a service animal, right? The, the parakeet isn't able to do anything for that student, right? Um, but that would be an ESA consideration. Uh, bond them from hatching. So, whoa, badger emotional support. Oh my goodness. Don't get honey badger. Oh my goodness. Hi, Doc and all. It's Z. Hey, Z, if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. We are almost up to 1,230 subscribers. We're just on the cusp. And we are also within a few hundred hours of being monetized, the closest we've ever been. So exciting stuff. Rabies tags on the, the doggy. So says Vanessa. So Vanessa is going to have a badger. So... Um, all pro lemon time, definitely going or gaining more respect for superintendents from these streams. It's way more involved than I knew. A lot of executive decisions. Yeah. So superintendents and also like directors of special education, this never goes before a board. A board of education doesn't make these determinations. It's a soup or a director of special education who has to make this, this call. And it's, it's much more complicated. Let me tell you where I was at. Um, maybe two years ago, right? I, I used variants of this case study. We're going to go through Peggy, the comfort pig for 10 years. Right. And I was pretty firm on, you know, if you, 
you know, service animal isn't by ADA law and, and all of that. But then like if it's a comfort animal and it's not um, in policy, then you you do not allow a comfort animal on, you know, regularly on premises. You know, maybe if it's it's there for a day to like visit or something. But because once you do that, right, everyone is not. It's just one thing. Once you do it, everybody. But you set a precedence. So pretty soon you have a comfort chicken, then a comfort snake, then a comfort emu, and then a comfort baby bear. I mean, all these things. So um, I, that, that's where I was at. I was I was really in that camp of if it's protecting the service animal, you know, and, and saying once you kind of blur these lines, right, of what is a comfort animal, what is a service animal, and, and what's coming into your school, um, it kind of um, lessens the the service animal, right? Like if every student is having something, which is a gross generalization, right? I have since changed that position. I think two years ago, um, one of my aspiring superintendents was saying, well, I have a comfort animal. And, and this was a, a superintendent who was um, for PTSD, right? Um, had had served in our military and, and showed me the policy and, and some things like that. And, and I, I, I changed my position like during class. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm, I still think, you know, of course it's in, it's uh, case by case on this, but I'm, I'm changing, I'm, I'm pivoting. I'm more informed right now. Right. And, um, but anyway, I, I, I used to be like, oh, if it's a service animal, you know, comfort animal, you really have a high barrier to kind of prove that to me. And that really wasn't very su supported in policy, but, um, I'm much more open-minded now. Um, so, oh my goodness, Vanessa saying service animal parrot teach out to badmouth others asking questions. Holy smokes. So it, just as an aside, so Vanessa, one time I had a situation, this was years ago, but there was a student who used an augmentative communication device, AAC, right? So it's a device which would, would basically be the voice of the student and program phrases and things like that. And I don't know if it was a student's family or whatever, but somehow this thing got programmed with a a curse phrase right and the question was um so the student was like a seventh grader right so they could press like the button and it would like you know say like i don't know you know what blankety blank is going on or whatever and the question of the school was like well should we remove this from the device and the parents were like no um because the student makes a choice whether to use this or not. And it's very appropriate at seventh grade for students to use curse language, right? So if they use it, um, you know, it's a consequence, right? If it's, uh, I guess, outside of a setting where they're hanging out outside with their peers or whatever, but if it's like in the classroom or... So it was this weird thing because people were... It was the first time I ever had to work with that. Um, people were coming in and saying, no, we need to, to kind of curate the language options that are available for the students and the parents were saying no this you know this should be available for them and they they know the circumstances and it was i mean it was pretty interesting but um so yeah this question comes up like who takes the service animal out right that plan needs to be put together but it can't prohibit the service animal from coming in i think this comes in with emotional support animals i would have this concern a little bit more of whose responsibility is it for an emotional support animal to also make sure that it 
can go to the bathroom, right? Not as not as well laid out. So um, if they ever successfully cloned a woolly mammoth, I'd go with that. Ron Wayne has a service animal or emotional support. So, um, oh no, a bad mouth computer voice. So that was that was like 15 years ago, and it was also when computer voices were very robotic. And and I just remember this this meeting, right? And I and I think ultimately my my position on this was well. I mean, the child can make a choice to to use this or not. So I guess if it's on there, but we also have the if the child has three hundred phrases, we don't want a hundred to be you know curse oriented, right? So, um, but yeah, there were some teachers though that were very adamant of absolutely not. It's crazy. Um, so that was the first. Uh, that that actually would be an interesting case study to. I don't think I would bring it up in either of these classes because it doesn't go deep enough, but. That would be an interesting case study for like a book. Like, what would you, what would you do? How would you evaluate that? Because again, the parents' argument was, the child can, you know, it was a seventh grader, right? He can decide to use this or not, and it's very age appropriate for his peers. Like, they probably would make a choice to use this or, or not. So, um, but yeah. So it's runway. It's toy town. It's toy town. So. Okay, so where we're at so far, a service animal, which is typically a dog, but not always, it can be a miniature horse that's required under the Americans with Disabilities Act, require that um, you allow that into a school, right, or into other settings. And then we have emotional support animal, and that really is supported by the Housing Act, the Fair Housing Act, and then also Section 504, which is part of special education. So in that regard, an emotional support animal, again, doesn't need special training. It's just like it's Peggy the comfort pig, right? If I have the pig with me and I'm holding the pig, the child is calmer, right? The child is, you know, that, or if, if, yeah, the child has fewer emotional outbursts or if there's some objective, other objective thing, like, you know, when the child has their, their comfort pig or snake with them, they have fewer seizures. Like if there's something objectively with that, it's a pretty uphill argument for a school to say, you know, well, we're not going to allow that, right? So, so let's get into um, let's get into a couple things here. So, you cannot. So, if if a student comes to school with a, a service dog, right, or what they're saying is a service dog. So, what you can ask, right, two questions: Is the dog um, be required because of does, does the child have a disability? So. You know, which you're probably going to know anyway because the student would be eligible for special education services or related services. Probably would know that. But um, the second part is: Is there a specific work or task that this animal performs? You cannot, however, say, "Oh, the child, you know, can open the door or you know, put the child's backpack in you know their locker or something." Okay, demonstrate it. Like, show me that the the dog can do that. You cannot ask for a demonstration of the animals. Um, capability to perform the specific trained task. So again, you're pretty limited in, in how to, to I guess, find out if this is really um, authentic or or not um, necessarily. So, um, so yeah. Um, let's go to Peggy the Comfort Pig. So I'm going to to get in this first. Let me go over here to the chat. So. It's Ron Wayne. It's Ron Wayne. So look at this. 
Whoa, it's lightning. By the way, our neighbors had their uh, their two their two trees cut down. I don't know if I shared that in the last podcast. I don't know if it that it happened, but the one was like right between our house and their house, and so. Um, but uh, I feel better because in a big windstorm or just storm like that would have been bad news had had that either of those trees fallen. But um, so schools, so schools have to make this decision on on service animals, and it is it is complicated right um because you can only go so far with your questioning and this whole this whole thought of you can see i see districts create policies this is where things get a little wonky so let's go here to a policy this is um a policy from um a school in utah uh juab school district so this is actually from 96 but it's still their current policy which if you have a policy that's more than five years old that's probably not a good thing like you should be reviewing your policies and updating them every five years but uh so let's do this let's go over here and oh look at this here whoa it's a side cam it's a safety cam say safety cam but let's get out of safety cam here um let's do a share screen so i'm going to bring up a policy that a school has and uh here we go Okay, so I need to to do this and to make this bigger. So again, this is a school district in Utah. This is currently on their website. So a few so policy for service animals on school premises. Now, one of the first things here is like again, any policy just in general in a school should be updated every five years. So I you know it's kind of this policy should be be revisited. But anyway. Animals permitted only pursuant to this policy. Um, service animal is a dog that's individually trained, but the law actually says dog or miniature horse, so this should be updated. Um, the work or task performed by the animal uh, must be directly re um, related to the person's disability and do not include providing emotional support, well-being, comfort, or companionship. So service animal. Um, disability identified by ADA idea that's special education or section 504. Uh, 504, for example, would be um, student does not require special education, but you know you would need a ramp to get into a school or um, accommodation in uh, a lunch line or, or or something that somebody to to carry a tray or something. If um, but there isn't any um, therapy that's being provided. Direct threat is a significant risk to the health or safety of others that cannot be eliminated by a modification of policies. I don't, I don't know where this all of a sudden came from. Direct threat. Uh, emotional support animal is a domesticated animal other than a non-human primate that is individually necessary for the emotional support, well-being, comfort, or companionship of an individual with a disability. The task performed by the animal must be directly related to the individual's disability. So basically saying emotional support animal can't be your best friend coming to school with you, but um, domestic, I don't know, this, this is a little bit old. Like this is, and if you're this district, you gotta be updating this. General standards regarding animals um, serving individuals with disabilities. We went into that service animals. Um, so let's see here. The use of service animals by individuals with disabilities shall be allowed on all portions of school premises where the individual would be permitted as a member of the public, an employer student, as applicable subject to the following 
Um, the individual may be required to remove the animal if the animal's out of control. Okay, so then you could have the, the guide dog there. The animal's out of control and the handler doesn't take effective action to control it. The animal's not properly housebroken. The school is not responsible for the care or supervision of the animal. So this is an interesting one um, because, you know, so how do you work with feeding the animal, right? If a guide dog is in school, how do you, how do you do that? Or getting the animal out into an area where they can use the bathroom, right? So um, this is a little strict. Um, the school would be responsible. This isn't really accurate, right? The school would be responsible for assigning somebody probably unless the, the person with a disability was able to do this to, um, you know, get this, get the dog outside. Um, and then also if there was to be a time when the dog would need food or water or an area for that, the school would need to provide that. So this is a little heavy handed here. I don't think if this was challenged, I don't think it would hold up. The animal must be under the control, um, of the, the handler. This means leash, tether, voice signals. Yeah. So, um, and the school could, could observe and document that, right? That would be pretty rare uh, with a service animal, but you know, if you had a uh, situation with that, that could be a reason not to have that service animal in the school. Except in circumstances where the animal's training and function is immediately apparent, the school may ask, one, if the animal is required, remember these two questions, right? If the animal is required because of a disability and what work the animal is able to perform, the school can't ask for the basically to demonstrate that and they can't ask for um, documentation that the animal's trained right so this is where people usually this is this is what i would say is the the slip up right this is probably the first mistake schools make with service animals is they say shows documentation that the that the animal's been trained well what does that really look like and you're not required to do that um and and so that's that's the first thing. And the second thing is like, you know, show us it's vaccination or um, you know, those type of I, I guess vet records, um, which again you're not required to do. So those are usually the first two things that just kind of instinctively come to mind in a school. And usually I would say parents provide those to the school. Um, you know, they they will give that information because they typically have it right in the, um, they're, they're working in the best interest of their child and they'll say, you know, here it is. But for a school to look and say, well, let's there isn't a single program that a service dog goes through, right? That gets a national certification or something like that or state certifications. So the, these would be the inter-rater reliability on these would be um, inconsistent. So, um, and, and and then like you know you, you can't say well you have to show that you have insurance for the dog or you know the the vet stuff or whatever so um it, so this says the school shall not um the school shall not impose any fee or charge regarding service animals presence however in instances where individuals may be charged for damage to school property um uh, maybe made for damage so i guess if the yeah if the animal was you know, chewed up a a chair or something like that. You know, they they could be 
the person could be charged for the the damage for that. Pretty pretty rare that that would happen. Um, so so let's go through this policy a little bit more. Then I'll come back to the chat. So again, this is a school district in in Utah. This is currently what they have on their website for their their policy: service animals and training. That's pretty. You'll see that quite a bit. And usually, service animals and training, um, the animal wears something that says, "I'm a service animal in training." Like, don't you know, pet me or interact with me. Now, if you have a guide dog, right, a service animal, you cannot um, ask. Well, you cannot require that uh, that student or that staff member to. Okay, you know, here's the dog. Could you could you have the dog wear some kind of sign that says like guide dog or service dog? That's not allowed. That's not allowed. Um, miniature horses. Okay, here we go. Whoa, I got the, the chat here. So miniature horses. The district shall make reasonable modifications to policies, practices, or procedures to permit the use of a miniature horse by an individual with a disability. The horse has been individually trained to do work or perform task for the individual with the disability subject to the requirements and standards relating to service animals outlined above. In determining whether the district's policies, practices, or procedures can be reasonably modified to permit this use, the school shall consider, one, the type, size, and weight of the horse, whether the handler has sufficient control of the horse, whether the horse is housebroken, and whether the horse's presence in the school compromises legitimate safety requirements necessary for school operation. So, whoa. All right. So let me let me kind of pause right there. So here's what schools should do, right, if, um, if they have... Okay, for one, if a service animal is accompanying a, a student, right, like a like a guide dog, um, you know, that is that is pretty much a Nike for a district. You know, you know, just just do it right now. You know, if it is um, if it is emotional, and even in that case, it it pays to at, it pays to to ask what the the animal does for the student you're able to do that right but you can't ask to, to dem like the animal to demonstrate that it could be that you know the a staff member could could do that for a student right it could be that other classmates could do that for a student um if it's opening doors or or whatever it might be there could there could be things that the school could provide without a service animal there typically if you're if you have an ada approved service animal or ADA service animal that's going to be in, with you in school. Um, so, the question you ask again it, it, with the schools, like you know, what what function does this provide? And you know, you might find again that it's something that the school can provide without having the service animal there. But that would be an option. Then you present to the parent saying, "We can do this without the the service animal here." But if the parent says, "We want the service animal there," service animal is going to be in your school. Miniature horsing kind of gets interesting because, um, you know, the the type, size, and weight of the miniature horse. Like, who's going to figure that out, right? <laughs> there are actually like measurements, like if the horse is above like forty two inches tall or something like that. It doesn't. It, I mean, this gets really intense. Who's going to measure the horse? What if the horse was calling firewood or just say had a, you know, it's kind of slouching down in the horse or what if the you know whatever here horses wearing you know. Um, you know, Nikes, so it's got an extra two inches of height on it. I don't know, but you know, these things get really finite, right? To, this is this is this will be really challenging for a district to to minutely get down and you're measuring you're measuring this horse, right? 
So anyway, let's go to emotional support animals. Um, the use of an emotional support animal or comfort animal. So this is this is newer, right? We probably didn't hear about this 20 years ago. I, I didn't hear about this 20 years ago. And it's become much more prevalent in society and especially in schools. Use of emotional support animal or ESA is considered a request for a reasonable accommodation under the ADA, American Disabilities Act 1990, or Section 504, which goes along with special education, although special education is IDEA. But um, so that's that's where this comes in. So there are some legal parameters to this. Such a request must be supported by recent, what is recent, right? Reliable, objective medical documentation. So <laughs> I'm not sure what that really means, but this is something where, you know, a student comes in, right? And they have a, a note from their doctor saying, you know, since the student, you know, started to have Peggy the comfort pig, they have fewer episodes of, you know, anxiety, right? Or, you know, uh, you could go objectively, like or seizures or something like that. But, you know, whatever it is, like some documentation, and that just might be a, a doctor's note. I mean, you don't know what that's going to be. Um, in addition, documentation may be required to address legitimate safety requirements necessary for the safe operation of the school's programs, services, or activities. But what does that really mean, right? That's going to be, that's going to be a difficult one um to do right like i saw somebody try to do this with a sugar glider once and a sugar glider is a it's like a flying squirrel so um you know you can look it up on the internet sugar a sugar glider and the thing is like if you if you're holding a sugar glider and they're not going to bite you or anything but if it licks your skin, you know, for like five minutes, you could have like a rash. You could have an, a reaction. You're not going to have like a anaphylactic reaction, but you could have like a rash. So um, I've seen and I've read where some districts and and just in general, the, the use of a sugar glider as an emotional support animal has been challenged because of that. I'm saying it has a toxin and it's, you know, and it, it licks your skin, but it's not has to be doing that for a little while and it's not like a severe but toxin but yeah so this is it's kind of where thing where people go with this but um let's go back to 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 this so oh wait a second let me remove that let me do this let me remove the safety cam let's do this um boom okay um we're going back to emotional support animal. In addition, documentation may be required to address legitimate safety requirements or safe operation. We got only domesticated animals will be considered as emotional support animals. I don't know about that. That, I mean, this is back in 2016. Like, you know, I was, and what is really domesticated, right? I've seen this really pushed quite far out. <laughs> I don't know if a peacock is domesticated, right? Um, or, you know, a snake or things like that. So, uh, that's a there's a lot of subjective stuff in here. Um, the use of emotional support animals on school premises is also subject to requirements and standards relating to service animals outlined above um, for the limitation on inquiries. So, evaluation prior to denial to the extent possible before denying access to an animal asserted to be a service animal, service animal in training, covered miniature horse, or emotional support. District staff shall consult with the district risk coordinator. Holy smokes! And the risk coordinator shall consult with stance, with state risk management. Oh my God! And the and is needed the district legal counsel. Holy smokes! 
Um, if consultation is not possible, district staff shall make the access determination based on this policy and shall thereafter consult. Like, whoa, like, so no one knows what this, basically this paragraph says, we're just going to call our district attorney and ask <laughs> give an opinion on this, right? Um, holy smokes. Uh, wow. I don't know. I don't know who the district risk coordinator is. And they're checking out Rudy the Rooster here. And the risk, so you have a district risk coordinator and a risk coordinator and a state and a state risk management person and your district legal counsel. So you got four people here. I've, this is just wild. A, a district risk coordinator. All right. These are positions I'm just, I'm not familiar with, like, and a risk coordinator. And then you have a state risk management person and then district legal counsel. Interesting. Questions about the application's policy to specific circumstances or requests requiring special consideration shall be directed to the district risk coordinator, district personnel responsible for compliance with the law for to individuals with disabilities. So, whoa. Yikes. So, again, this is a school district in Utah, last updated here in 2016. So, what are your reactions, folks? What are your reactions to this policy? Uh, let me know. Let me know in the chat what I mean. What you think about this? Like, just we went through it, right? And what do you think about this? If you know you were right, um, you know you're working in the district, or you have a a child that's coming into the district with a comfort animal or whatever. Like, what do you think about this this policy, right? Um. So, and I'll maybe give you my my thoughts on it here in a second. So. Let's look over here. So, um, how many horses are housebroken? I don't know, Vanessa. <laughs> I don't know. Um, was it Mr. Ed? I think was housebroken. So this is, and I say this because I, I generally, you know, acting in the best interests of students, and I, and I, I, you know, I think that's right. You're acting. You're using discretion, acting in the best interest. Um, I think these get so conditional. These statements that. You know, like this one, you know, you got to consult with four people that seem, that seem risk manager, you know, regional risk manager. And um, these these policies are ultimately kind of just going to funnel into the district's legal counsel to either say yes or no on this. Um, but, yeah, this is to me, this this is pretty complicated stuff. I've got another one we'll go through just so we can kind of compare and contrast. So. Um, uh, CNT saying, um, my, my wife had a doe deer that was housebroken when she was 17. Wow. So Vanessa saying, I bunnies used to, or, or trained to use the, the cat litter box. So that could be argued right under emotional support animal. Um, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to argue that under service animal because the bunnies wouldn't be performing a task for the person, but under emotional support, if someone again is holding that bunny and, um, you know, or the presence of the bunny is, is measurable in to, uh, mitigating some emotional, um, condition that the person has, right. That would be, I mean, that would largely be eligible under ESA. Um, so, Call lawyers. This is Vanessa to get clarification. Service animals can go in. Dang, yeah. So this, and this is kind of where people are at now. This district actually has a policy that includes 
um, emotional support animals, ESAs, a number of them don't. They they only have service animals. So um, you can kind of see where this this really gets, I would say, murky, and someone has to make a call on this, right? Um, and you know, this policy clearly steers it to the district attorney. I mean, to whoever is representing the the district, their council. This. I mean, 100% basically this policy just says we're going to ask our school lawyer. So before I, before I go any further in that, so as a school, one thing you can never do, and I point this out with my students, one thing you can never do is just say, you know, a parent calls you up, right, and, and says, my student, my child, right, is, is going to come to school with a service animal or emotional support animal, either one of those, right? Um, let's say they move to your district. You, if you just respond no, right, to that, especially like kind of comfort, emotional support animal, ESA. If you just say no um, and the parent challenges that to like the Department of Public Instruction or to, you know, Office of Civil Rights, your school um, would be found non-compliant because your school would be found as, as making a determination without considering the individual's needs, right? If you just say, well, our policy says no, or we just say no, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't be able to show that you had met to, you know, try to understand the purpose of this animal and how the animal um, allegedly, right, might mitigate emotional um, disabilities of, of the emotional related type disabilities of the child. You have to have a clear process to consider so, you know, as I, as I point out with my aspiring school leaders, um, one thing you have to do, right, is res, res, as I respond back in writing, you know, if this is brought to you um, and, and say, um, you know, let's meet to talk about what, um, you know, the, so I can understand this more, like as a super, as usually superintendent's not going to do this, it's going to be a special education director or principal or something like that. Um, so we can understand, um, you know, if, if the child has a disability and then also what act, what activities or, or specific task this animal provides or, or mitigates, right? Either supports if it's service animal or if it's emotional support, how it, it mitigates the uh, emotional needs, right, of the, of the student. So a letter that says, you know, let's, let's sit down, let's have a meeting, let's talk about this. And sometimes like you might find out that, you know, what is, what does this animal provide, especially like a, 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 a emotional support animal. And, and you're saying, well, you know, maybe there's other ways we can provide this without the animal being here in school. Right. Uh, maybe there, there's other things like that staff can, can do for this. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit in the Peggy case study, but you cannot just say, no, you cannot just respond and say, no, like we've reviewed our policy or whatever. You have to have a meeting and you have to show that you've had deliberation on this, that you've considered this, right? Um, so that means talking, you know, to the parent and, and because if not, the parent appeals it to you, Office of Civil Rights or the Department of Public Construction, they will take it right back to your district and said, you made a decision solely based upon policy without considering the specifics of this case. This always has to be case by case. So that's one thing I tell people is always, right? Be very thorough. Like, you know, okay, you informed us on this date. So like, what is the, again, you know, let's meet, what is the disability and what specifically does this animal do to, 
to either help if it's service animal, a task that it does, or if it's emotional support to mitigate an emotional, um, I guess, consequence um, of, a, of a disability, right? So that's that's some that's kind of early on people make that mistake is they just will be like, our policy is a no, so we just sent you a letter no, and that will get you a call from your Department of Public Construction or a visit from OCR if you do that. So um, just, you know, straight up telling people don't, that's not your response. So, um, so yeah, this is Andrew saying, I don't like how the weakest people in our society are Kyle, which makes them weaker. So, um, I, again, you know, I'm saying from my, my classes and my experience, I've, I've pivoted on service animals. Um, and I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. I think for a while, I'll just say there, there were things that were happening, you know, like bringing a, a chicken or something, you know, and, and it really was just cause a child liked to have the chicken around and now it's, it's, it's been tightened up somewhat, but, uh, and honestly, I don't see this being overused in schools to the, to the effect of where it's, it's, um, having a, a detrimental effect or anything like that. It's, um, you're not getting every student who, you know, is trying to bring in a pet snake or something like that. It's, it's, this is very rare, even as emotional support animal. Um, but the other part is not just students, it's also staff. And again, I had a staff member who was, um, identified as having post-traumatic stress, um, disability, um, after, uh, you know, uh, being a war veteran, right. So was saying this, this animal is there to support them and, and uh, so, you know, I, I kind of want to. I, I want to also, I guess, put some bumpers on this bowling alley lane of saying, you know, if at any one school, like if you have a school of five hundred kids, like one or two, like comfort or service animals total, like if, even if that, that might be high. So this is pretty rare. Service the ESAs are increasing, and not just in schools, like on airplanes, and and just in general. You know, like I never thought like I'd be in a Walmart, right, and see somebody like taking their cart down the aisle and have like you know a basket with their cat in it, or a a you know something something like a rabbit or something like that, which I've seen you know like more often now. So the comfort. This is bold. The comfort of the concept of a comfort animal is a sign of weakness back in the day weakness was stamped out like fire by a rhino in a in a desert so okay and uh let's go back here um so gotcha so um ron wayne saying i honestly have never heard of this before so um if you go in so this was probably the, the case, um, geez. Let's do this one. So I'm gonna bring in the, uh, an article here. So let me, let me move this one over. Get the banner off of there. Sorry. Jeez. And I don't want to register for this. Um, okay. This is, this is BB, the BBC. Dun, dun, dun. 
Wow, look at this, refinance. Um, emotional support peacock barred from United Airlines plane. This is back in January of 2018. So there it is. It's like, I fly United. I'm flying United, says this peacock. So, so, oh my God, this is not what I wanted here. Uh, go back over here. There we go. So there's Beacock. It's saying, hello, Bacon. Right? That's what it's saying. Hello, Bacon. Hi, Bolo. Hi, Ron Wayne. So, um, this, you know, this is a big thing here. So, um, a female traveler was recently banned from taking a large emotional support animal on United Airlines. So there was a lot to do with this. She offered to buy the bird its own plane ticket. There it is. So, um, so nonetheless, the airline refused to let the bird on the plane. And yeah, so again, you know, there it is. And, and so there is this whole process now of, I mean, there was a process, but it's getting even more defined with airlines of registering an emotional support animal ahead of time. And uh, yeah, so here it says in 2014, a woman was, a woman was escorted off a U.S. Airways flight when her pig named Hobie defecated and squealed before the plane took off. So, um, yeah, and I would say, you know, again, it's more prevalent that there's going to be uneventful travel of a comfort animal than eventful. But this was one that made the news right there, the the peacocks. That was kind of big. That was big news, right? That's what we that's what we talk about. And I, and I put that out there for my students because. Um, they tend to, not they tend, but, you know, it kind of conflates, right? People people might be like, well, you know, like the the airlines banned it, so like the school can ban it. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Um, so, but anyway, there's there's the, the peacock. So, so let's go, um, let's go over here to emotional support animals. So just a summary first, where we're at. So we have um, an ADA, Animal Americans with Disabilities Act. And that typically would be what people would think of as like a, a guide dog, right? For someone who might be visually impaired. I mean, just that might be what people first think of. Now, guide dogs for that purpose were actually introduced about 100 years ago after World War I, but it was in 1990, the ADA put it into law where, you know, the person has the right to have the dog present with them um, in the settings that they normally would have access to, right? So we have ADA, and that is an animal that is there because you have a disability, right? You have you have this animal. The second is it performs specific task for you. And then we have emotional support animal, which is newer, and that's expanding, that's growing. We have less ADA animals in my in my observations. And as I talk to students, right, we have it's 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 very rare to have a student ever raise their hand and say, we have a guide dog or guide horse in our school, right? That is, that is just uncommon for people to, to say that. Um, now, if you ask, do you have an emotional support animal with a student? Like that's more common. Um, and, and so, yeah, that is, that is coming up. So let me go over here to some of the different types of emotional support animals. So emotional support animal, again, this is through the Department of Housing, but then also it's called 504, which is 
a section of usually it goes along with special education, but it doesn't, it's not just limited to students with disabilities. It goes on for a person's entire life. 504 is access. Think of like if you need, uh, if, if in order to enter a building, you would need a ramp to get into the building. You're, you have a wheelchair, you can't get up the stairs. The, the ramp would be the ADA access. ADA isn't therapy, it's access to things. If you um, needed something available in Braille to you, that's ADA, right? So, um, but let's go to types of emotional support animals. So you can have just a dog, like we have a service dog, but you could have a, a dog, right? Cats, um, ferrets, snakes, rabbits, horses, pigs, hedgehogs, and it, it continues. So um, these are some of the, the emotional support animals. Now, this is an interesting one here. So this is the ESA Registration of America Emotional Support Animal. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, this is interesting, this uh, topic here. So can a snake be an emotional support animal? Um, everything you need to know. I guess everything you need to know is written in January of 2021. So let's really see if this is everything you need to know or not. But uh, so so this this is not a government site. This is actually a blog. It looks pretty official, though, doesn't it? Like you go up in here, oh, my goodness, like whatever. Um, but this is actually a blog that's put out, esaregistration.org um, slash blog. So it's not you know, it's not a gov website, but it kind of looks like it, right? It's an official logo here. So, but apparently there's a cart. You can buy stuff. So shop. Let's see what this is. Um, you know, what can you, what can you get here? Oh, vest, which you're not required. You're not required to do this by law, by the way. So, uh, a wall as identification kit. Um, so, Fifty-four to one hundred and forty-nine dollars here for a for an ID. Again, this isn't anything required. Um, evaluation letter. Well, yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, all you need ESA package. So these these are the things, right? So if we just look at this, you're not required by law to do any of this. And while this, you might feel that this helps facilitate. Like it would, somebody would be, oh my goodness, like you have this official certificate and. You know, the dog has on this vest and whatever. This doesn't, you know, mean any mean anything in particular. So someone's got a got their website going here. So um, interesting, interesting. An ESA evaluation layer. Let's check this out. What what exactly? Yes, I'm a citizen. Evaluation type for travel. Please select your state. You, that's weird. Like, what would this be? Um, who, who would be the, who's going to evaluate? <laughs> like, they're probably not coming to your house, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what this, this is. 412 reviews. Let's check the reviews. Very easy. Love the therapist that evaluated me. She was very sweet and approved it to register my ESA. Now I'm able to take her wherever. Interesting. Verified buyer. Great experience. Emotional support animal therapists. Um, all right. It sounds like these are kind of in person, but um, wow. Okay. Anyway, this this is not required by law that you do any of this stuff right here. So but let's go back to home. 
So now, there we go. Let's go back to the snake thing, man. That's where I want to go. Can a snake be an emotional support animal? What I hear from students, right? And let's get the safety cam out of here. What I hear from students is, and these are principals and superintendents, like snakes seem to be pretty common. So if you if you end up having a support animal in a school, if it's not a dog, like there's a pretty high chance it's probably a snake. That seems to be growing in popularity. So one of the things here is, um, do snakes qualify? And they're like, yeah, you know, yeah, people get confused about them. Do snakes help with anxiety? Yes, snakes help, well, right. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't help with my anxiety if you had a snake, you know? So, but, um, but yeah, okay. And the, here they're saying the benefits of emotional support snakes. They're hypoallergenic, they're odorless, they're easy to care for, and how you get your snake registered. And, and so again, these are decisions a district would need to make, but snakes seem to come up more in discussion now. Like if, if I have a class of 10 students, for example, it's almost a guarantee that someone has had an experience with an emotional support snake in a district somewhere along the line, like that they've worked or like, oh yeah, it was, you know, whatever. And, um, so, so that kind of, that kind of comes up. So, um, but yes, you know, again, technically, yeah, here, chicken therapy animals, an overview guide, um, chicken therapy animals. So the calming effect of therapy chickens, again, this is from the website. I've, I knew a district, right. I, I that had a, a chicken with like a kindergartner. Um, chickens are the secret weapon of therapy animals. I didn't know that. Here are just some of the many positives. Chickens are calming. Chickens encourage you to go out to the fresh air. So the question you'd have as a district, like as a as somebody in a district of saying, well, what else can we do that might be calming for this, this child, right? Chickens encourage you to get out in the fresh air. Well, right, the child would have access to being outside and, and things like, you know, sensory benefits, the feel, smell, and sound of chickens, the sales of senses. I mean, and it's pretty subjective statement there, but simple companionship. I don't know. I've <laughs> maybe it's just me, but I mean, so this, this is quite a leap of a statement, you know, to say it's, you know, it's offers a lot of companionship there. Non-allergetic option. The laws surrounding therapy chickens are complicated, this says. And there are local laws and federal laws to consider, but of course they don't put them out. And, you know, here we go. Backyard chickens. Well, that's different, right? Um, animal Welfare, Fair Housing Act, that's the one that says um, you cannot deny somebody housing because they have an emotional support animal if they have a disability. And if that animal is, you can't, you know, um, is mitigating um, an effect of that disability. And you can register here with the ESA and, and go on. But um, so yeah, I mean, we, we could kind of keep going down how to get an ESA letter in Vermont and Louisiana and Texas and bunnies and therapies animals. So just want to put that out there that that is, so th this is this is kind of the, the realm of where school districts um, are, are living in, right? And and so what does it look like on, on uh, you know, district policy? And we had the one right here, which was the district policy of the school in Utah. And it was saying basically kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll call our risk management coordinator and then whatever regional, and then we'll get to our, our lawyer. But 
Um, let's go to another. This is a policy here in Wisconsin. And let me let me get this one up a little larger. This one has been was updated last year. And um, animals on district properties. So right here, service animal, which we kind of went through. Emotional support animal. Um, again, they're not trained to perform a task. The definition does not include psychiatric service animals who are properly trained and certified as a service animal. Okay, therapy dog. Therapy dog is different. Therapy dog is an animal that comes in and it is providing support to like a population of students, right? It's not just one student. So that is, that's just to be very clear on that. Vaccination licensing or veterinary requirements. Animals housed on district property are brought on district for any school purpose, such as conduct or to conduct random searches for illegal substances or brought into district property on a regular basis, including service animals, must meet veterinary requirements set forth in state law and county ordinance, including but not limited to rabies. The thing is, right, like, so you have this in policy, but remember the two questions you can ask, right? The first question is, um, does this child, right, or, or person have a disability? And, uh, you know, is is the animal um, trained to specifically support them in that, that disability area? Those are your two questions. So you can, you know, to to say, oh, we're not going to have the, the dog or the miniature horse on until we have our uh, whatever veterinary requirement. That's kind of a subtle thing. Like you can ex basically, if the parent has this animal, right, it, it should probably be registered under the, the city licensure for a, a pet or something like that, which then would also require like a rabies proof, proof of rabies shot and stuff like that. But you, you cannot, you cannot keep this animal outside of your school because the parent isn't providing you with this information, right? So this is, this is a little bit of a stretch right here. Um, and most, again, most parents would provide this, the, you know, they, they would get that to the district. But if a parent didn't and you're drawing the line on this, you're probably not going to be able to defend this as a district. Non-service animals in schools elsewhere. Um, let's go emotional support animals right here. An emotional support animal is not granted the same access to school as service animals, the district is not required to grant students requests that they be permitted to bring an emotional support animal to class or on school grounds for any purpose. The district administrator may grant a student use of an emotional support animal on a case-by-case -case basis and deems it's not disruptive to the entire school environment. So what do you what do you get from like this statement right here? The district administrator may grant a student use of emotional support animal. So anybody want to kind of just take this statement in this policy? What do you think about that? The district administrator. So Bolo, Vanessa. So, all right. Well, I'll say this, you know, it does give a specific person, right, who's ultimately going to be administering their professional discretion and acting in the best interest of the student. Um, it's also kind of a weird position to put your district administrator in to make this call. It's almost like the 
head of school nursing would make this call or the director of special education would make this call. But anyway, this puts it on the district administrator who's going to go case by case. Again, you don't have a lot of these in schools, but it's kind of a weird thing to, to put into the, the realm of superintendent. You make the call on this. Um, and I would say most superintendents would probably say, you know, yes, unless there's some egregious risk of bringing this, you know, this animal into, into school. So this case-by-case case analysis, remember I said, if, if you just did a blanket, oh, our policy says no, that wouldn't fly with your state Department of Instruction or OCR, Office of Civil Rights. Um, if it's not, and not disruptive to the environment of others, it's, that's subjective though, right? Like what if it's so popular that everybody kind of wants to hang around this, you know, this bunny or, or snake or whatever, and then the kids are just paying attention to the bunny and snake and not paying attention to the teacher, but, but, you know, again, the, you know, these are, so there's a lot of subjectiveness to emotional support animals in school. I would think most superintendents would, if it got to that level, they're going to say yes, unless there's some egregious reason to not do this, right? Um, again, therapy dog is a little bit different. That's something coming in and serving like all of the, you know, or, or many students, it's not assigned typically to one student. So, but yeah, um, you know, this is a pretty detailed, detailed policy. Uh, also gets into transportation. It's just saying when the bus is in motion, the service animal needs to remain positioned on the floor and service animal for employees. So yeah, um, interesting. So let's get that out of here. So. Dun, ta -da. Dun, ta -da. All right, so let's go over here to um, Spambot. Have a good night, folks. Signing off. Need to be up early in the morning. All right, Spambot, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, advocating for the channel. We are closer to 4,000 views. We are at a record number of subscribers, and, and this is all good stuff. So thank you for your support of the channel. So... Bacon saying, if I ever get a service mini pig, I'll train him to grab me beers. Oh my goodness, Bacon. Um, Ron Wayne. Oh, wait, Ron Wayne. So in the end, we were talking about special rooms being built for these students with their critters. Eh, I mean, again, I don't I don't know too much of this because it, while it's it's prevalent, right? It's not like any one school there might be one or two of these. Um, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm learning more about this as people, you know, come forward with, you know, stories from the, their district. Oh, we have emotional support. Yeah. Snake and it stays in like a carrier and then the child, you know, gets it out at certain times or, uh, you know, um, but, uh, but, I, I think one of the, the things, right, is we um, da, 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 so send out to our good friend Spambot Fodder, and here we're going to do this for Spambot. So, da, 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 Spambot. And we're also going to do this for Spambot. Whoa, whoa, Spambot, here, let me, let me switch over here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, like, the, the Spambot. Whoa, Spambot. Whoa, that's to you, buddy. A shining light there. So... Um, and we're also going to do this for Spambot. Whoa, Spambot, look at this. 
It's a celebration of Spambot. So let's just pause for a second. So one is kind of the purpose of the show, right? The purpose of the show is to, to bring awareness, right? That service animals, I don't think that surprises anybody, right? You know, again, typically a guide dog and guide dogs have been around before 1990, the ADA, you know, gave um, very distinct provisions and, and uh, access and protection to to guide dogs and people who, who have guide dogs or service animals, let's say. But the emotional support animal is more of a recent um, uh, item, phenomena, right? And schools are kind of fumbling around with their policies on this. It's not very prevalent, but it does include a wide range, right? And because it does have the Department of Housing and then this, 80, this 504 component of, again, you're probably most likely in a school to, to have this scenario where somebody comes in with a rabbit or let's say rabbit, it's a rabbit. And there's a doctor's note and the doctor says, you know, when the child has this rabbit, they have fewer emotional uh, manifestations of anxiety, right? And okay, so there you have something objective from a, a physician, right? Or it could be a previous district or, you know, that has said this, or maybe it's the parents who have charted some of this out, right? So that's probably what you're going to have presented to you. So then you're the under ESA, right? Your, your requirement to consider this would be, does a child have a disability? Okay. Yeah. So let's say they, they're diagnosed either through the school or a physician as having an emotional disability. And then the area, the second question is, does this presence of this animal mitigate something? And here it's like, it does mitigate the, the frequency of, um, uh, manifestations, breakdowns or whatever by the, by the child. Like we, we know with the bunny present, the child does this 35% less than when the bunny's not there. So there's some data on that. So that's what you'd have to look like. Now, one thing a school is always doing, one thing a school is always doing with emotional support is they're asking the question, what is it that the, the, you know, animal is mitigating and, and is there something we can do that um, would be the equivalent of this or some transition away from the animal? And part of that is, um, you know, for independence of the student that they're not dependent upon that animal, not saying a service animal, that's different. I'm saying like for a comfort animal, is it something, you know, like, um, let's say Peggy, the comfort pig, a question there is because of the warmth of the pig or something like that. So is there something different like the child can hold that makes them feel uh, secure or something like that? That's actually not the pig. Um, do they actually have to have the pig there? Can they, can they log on, for example, and see the pig at home right through uh, is three times a day on to, you know, in the school, can they log in and see the pig 60 seconds, like for three times a day or something like this, which these are actual considerations that, that happen. But one of the things a school, you know, needs to look at also is when a child gets to be 14 and older and transitioning into the community, um, is, is this, are there other supports in place that might be less restrictive for the student than having to care, for example, for a, a comfort animal just this would be a, con a consideration so um 
yeah so let's let's go back here um so let me get to alex is saying i would like an emotional support skunk so right so there you know the determination would be if it was um you know if there was a risk to other people right but if the skunk wasn't a stinky skunk then or you know wasn't biting people then right you'd have to to can consider that right um and it's difficult to grasp the idea of sitting in a classroom with a seven foot python next to you so now when i was researching this show ron and when i was also putting together this case study which i need to get to here um it was i was surprised at how prevalent um snakes were and kind of like these big snakes as as these comfort animals right um so you know across the country hundreds or thousands of these snakes including like at the university level um so yeah i was i wasn't aware of that right um if this is something you want to talk about in class then like remind people if you don't have a policy on this like you know get something together because you do not want to address this for the first time when somebody says i'm going to be bringing in a seven foot snake here as a a comfort animal you know next week you want to have, have some process you're going through with your evaluation on that um so yeah so let's go so I'm going to go through this this case study that I use. Um, it's called Peggy the Comfort Pig. So here we go. So you, so all of you listening, you are now working as a leader in a school district, right? You've just learned, you, you've just read a letter from the parents of, of Carol. So Carol is a student who's transferring into your district from another district. She's going to be there next month, right? And she is a student who has disabilities, so identifies with student with disabilities, and she receives special education services. A copy of her current IEP, or these are services a student would receive um, because they have a disability. So the parent has included that with a letter. So you get this in your opening, here's a letter, and you have this IEP. So Carol has um, both an educational medical diagnosis of autism, so Carol has autism, and she's also identified as other health impaired, that's an area of special education, due to anxiety. So she, she meets this, right up there's no question she meets the disability criteria for both service animal and and probably esa um the letter also says she has a comfort animal it's a small pig and and the pig is with her full time at the school the parents letter says the pig helps to keep her calm her ip which is an official document like individuals with disability education act that is developed by the school it says that the uh the pig was brought to school a year ago and since the pig has been with her, Peggy or, or Carol has exhibited fewer aggressive behaviors and is engaging for longer periods of time on academic works. So there's some measurable benefit, apparently, right, that the previous school has determined from this pig. Her IEP states that she is permitted to have the pig with her at all times during all school functions. The parents' letter, letter also notes that the current district wasn't well informed of the benefits of comfort animals and that the parents want to make sure that your district will fully comply, right? Fully comply with supporting the comfort pig. The parents are asking for your school's policy uh, on comfort animals as they couldn't locate one on your policy page on your district website. 
They have cited the following legal cases. So I have a couple legal cases in here. And actually, one doesn't have to do with school. It has to kind of do with the university setting. And that's where just making sure that people look at school law and you're not looking at like airline law or something like that. Um, so, so, so basically they're, they're saying that, um, okay. So the parent is, is, has sent you this letter and they're saying child's going to be coming to your district. Child has a disability, um, or they receive special education and they also, have uh, anxiety, which is uh, identified as a disability area. The, the district where the child is right now, they wrote into their plan for the child that the child can can have this pig with them wherever they go. So they, they have that in the plan, right? So when you receive a student from another district, you are required to adopt this plan the best you can, right? So, you know, your district won't have everything the previous district did and and things like that. So you have to, to kind of adapt it the best you can. But um, there's going to be much expectation for you, the receiving district, to accept this plan. Like the law is going to largely have that expectation for you that you're going to accept this plan. So, you know, the parent is already saying, hey, I've been through your website and there's nothing on here about emo emotional support animals. Um, so give me, you know, let me know policy. You know, let me know what your your plan is, right? Because we fully anticipate, you know, the Peggy, the comfort Peggy will be going with Carol when she starts in your school next month. So kind of where do you go from there, right? Well, if it's the Utah school, you just call your attorney. But so where, where do you go from there? So this is where as a case study, you know, the students have to go through it. Um, and as we step through it, right, it's it's understanding, one, what really getting into what the benefit is of this pig, right? Is it is what it trying to understand that benefit, understand where the previous school is at, where they was there a plan in place to decrease the frequency of the comfort pig? Maybe there wasn't, but, you know, to understand where where the previous district was, Um so you're gathering your information. One thing you can't say, you can't just respond to this letter and say no. The parent takes that to the Department of Public Education Instruction or OCR, and they would come right back to the district and said, you need to, uh, you know, evaluate this. You just can't say our policy says no, or, you know, you have to have a process which you've documented. So let's go over here. So this, so this is where people are at then. So one thing this case study requires people to do is it makes them, you know, one thing I say is look up your district policy right now. You're online, right? So go in and look at your district policy. What does your policy say? And if you don't have policy, right, then, you know, but if you do have a policy, how would you interpret it, right? <laughs> maybe it's, it, you know, maybe it's a lot of word salad and you're like, I'm not really sure, right? So then you need to go back and revisit your your policy. But what is, you know, so what is your, what does your policy say? And then, um, you know, what is what documentation are you asking for legally? You know, what questions can you ask? Can you not ask? Uh, what are you seeking from the the previous district? What what is like? What will they likely provide to you? They'll provide the child's IEP. They're not going to provide medical records. A district cannot re-release medical records if a student moves. So, Carol lives in you know XYZ district and she moves to ABC district. ABC district 
cannot go back to XYZ and said, oh, like your medical reports from Carol's doctor and stuff, can you send those to us? The district cannot do that legally. They can give them to the parent. The parent can give them to you. Typically, though, you'd want to get them directly from a physician. Um, but the medical records don't follow the child, like immunizations and stuff too, but not in this case, like medical records released to the schools. So you're going to, you're going to be asking questions too of saying, you know, who's Peggy's or who, who's um, Carol's doctor and get a release of information and get a statement from the doctor. Um, you know, a, a, so, so you know where the doctor's position is on, on this, this pig um, because, you know, maybe the doctor is saying, you know, the I, I didn't say anything about a comfort pig, right? Like that, that wasn't, that didn't come from me. Or maybe the doctor's saying, you know, yes, but it seems like there's some medical report that probably exists here. So, um, so this, so this is something, right? You're going through your policy, discretion, best interest, and how you are, you, you got to make a call. Oh, this camera just, the safety cam just puked her out. So it only lasts for so long, folks. And, and it's gone about 90 minutes on this. So safe the safety cam here is you it's my old my old phone. So it's really hot by the way. I don't know. Probably not a good sign, but safety the safety cam tends to to heat it up. So um so yeah, so this is this is what happens. Um so Bolson, what happens when the pig dies? Do they buy a pig that looks identical to the previous one to trick the kid? But this is a good question though because what what if something would happen to the the pig right um the question let me try to geez phone's really giving up the ghost here so we put it on a charger wow that didn't uh I don't know. Phone's being real, real dorkopotamus over there. So um, here we go. All right. So there, there is a question, right? If what happens to the, if something happens to the pig, what's your, what's your plan B? Because you just hypothetically, right? You're not going to substitute out another pig because this pig is providing specific, it's not interchangeable. And especially a service animal isn't interchangeable. There's a typically a lot of interaction that happens between a child and a service animal before that service animal is regularly accompanying the child. So that's, that's a good question. Um, what is, you know, what is the plan if the pig isn't available? And that's a question, Bolo, I'm glad you brought that up because the students need to ask that up front and they need to have a plan for this. You know, what if, right? Yeah. Something happens to the pig. What, it, what are we providing then to uh, Carol? Right. And, and what's, what's the ex expectation there? So, um, and hi, Ting Ting. So, dun, dun, dun. um, Oh my goodness, you guys are not being nice to the pig here. So we should use a snake. Uh, so yeah, so th so that is kind of our, that's our scenario. This one um, takes people in different directions. So how I, how, how I deliver this is 
I will put people in groups of, well, I, I will tell them, get in a group of like three to four of your classmates, right? And here's your case study. And then look at your policies and you, you I build this, right? So you have some time. You don't have to make a decision overnight. You have some time. So how are you informing yourself? What are the questions you can legally ask? Um, and Bolo brought up a good point. Like, you know, what if you're, you know, th there's, you know, Peggy the Comfort Pig is there and then suddenly you get a call and there's no more Peggy the Comfort Pig, right? So so what do you, you know, what do you do in the the meantime? Um, how do you make that 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 transition? And then there's, you know, there's also this consideration having this discussion with the parents too of like, are we, is this a, is this kind of a perpetual thing or is there a transition away from a, a emotional support animal, right? It's just a, not saying that you have to do that, right? That's not required by law saying well, you have to have this plan to transition away, but, but to have the discussion of, okay, we're, we're, we in a phase where, you know, um, Peggy was, was getting, didn't require the emotional support animal as much, or maybe it was coming with her two days a week, right? Or the parent would bring it with her in the car, drop her off in the morning, and then it would be there in the afternoon when Peggy was, was coming back home, but, or when Carol's coming back home. So, right. So go, going back, right. Like, um, this is this happens so school districts this is something that they encounter on a, a regular basis but not on a high frequency basis but it is something that you have to have a a very clear process for right if somebody comes in and says either service animal or comfort animal now you know again people would I think people kind of default when I do this in class and say like, could you, if somebody comes in and has a guide dog, right? Um, and, you know, let's say student is visually impaired, right? And they have a guide dog. Could you say we need to see the vaccination records and, you know, registration, I don't know, the city or whatever for the dog. You know, you could, but the parent is not required to provide that to you. And you cannot keep the dog out of the school because of that. So we look through the one policy where it says, you know, the animal needs to have this. And the parent could just say they have it, right? And that could be the end of discussion. Um, the parent doesn't have to provide that to you. And you can't keep the the um, the animal or the, the child and the animal out of school. Um, so... 80, 88 and you know that that's 1990 that's that's people you know think of that service animal emotional support animal i would say much more prevalent the last 10 years and now there is this registry but that's more like for flying for schools like to have a registry for an esa doesn't really mean much because the school is making its it's the school doesn't really care if the animal is on a registry or not that's probably not influencing a school's decision on what they're going to do. Um, the biggest, you know, thing with a school is, is they they have to make some determination if the animal, you know, if there's a safety issue, you know, with the animal, um, and then, you know, if also if they're if they're, like, you know, looking and and observing and saying, you know, this animal isn't, you know, we're we're not documenting that this is providing any specific benefit to the child, right? 
like the child, the animal's just kind of hanging out in the class or whatever. Like the child's really not interacting with the animal. I mean, if the school was to document things like that, they could have some argument of saying, you know, this, the emotional support animal, you know, seems to be a, a stretch for this, for this student. And it, it does get in. So, you know, a, a, a guide dog or could also be a miniature horse. Um, you know, the, the school is typically going to work with the student or they'll have a support staff or staff assigned to make sure that that animal has access to food and water and can relieve itself, in, you know, some location and stuff like that. Um, emotional support animal. Yeah. Not quite as clear on that, but, um, so schools need to make these calls. One thing a school can't do, cannot do is just say, we have a policy that says no. So no, um, you, you, you can't make that. You always have to consider. And when you consider legally, right, you need to show due diligence that you considered it. Like what is, what is the parent asking? You know, what is the disability and what support does the specific animal provide? And if member if it's a service animal and, and the parent is saying, or the student is saying, you know, the animal, um, can pick up my my backpack or something's on the floor or like the animal, you know, with a wheelchair helps me move along, propels, you know, the wheelchair if I have a handle, you know, on, on the animal and um, the animal can open doors, grab my jacket, things like that. Um, student, you can't say, okay, uh, you just said four things. I want to see the, the dog do all four of these things, right? You can't ask for a demonstration. So, um, and I think that's where, again, if people don't think about this, you know, they, they, they can kind of go down this path, right. Of, okay, well then make, you know, let me see it. The other part is right. Um, you know, I have to see your document. I have to see where this dog was trained, right. And that they have some type of ADA certification. There really isn't any universal certification like that. And parents, again, will usually work with schools, but you know, as we saw with that one site here, I think it was what with the, with the snakes, um, so this was the one, let's go back to it. The site, esaregistration.org, right? Not a government site, you know, but looks pretty official. Um, and what, it, oh, but you know, then they're selling stuff here, right? So, so this best value apparently, but this, this doesn't, this doesn't mean anything, right? This, I mean, it, it, it looks very official, right? But as far as like identifying and meeting some criteria, there's no such thing, right? Of having to provide these types of things and whatever. Now, there will be some districts, I would say, like if you brought all of this stuff in, the district might be like, whoa, you know, you know, it seems like this animal has, has been through, you know, some verification process and all of that and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I can, I think, I think there are some districts where this would have some sway in the decision-making. Um, and you know, if you're trying to have emotional support animal in different settings, um, on a plane, a plane's a little different, but you know, into a house of worship or something like that, maybe this, this has some impact, but, uh, but yeah, this is, 
this is kind of interesting because again, none of this is official PVC ID. I mean, none of this is is required by by law. This is um, yeah. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to have a student come in your district and you know that animal is is going to have all of this stuff you know with it, right? So um, it puts it, it puts districts in kind of a weird um, position. I mean, you can get some things that are kind of traditional, right? Like a dog, right? Or a rabbit. But once you get into snake and rooster and peacock and stuff like that, I mean, then it's then, I mean, you're kind of on these, these fringes of, 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 you know, some, some thing of like, what, what is a, what does a peacock exactly provide? Right. And just like the presence of the animal, right. If the animal is present versus like the child holding the animal or petting the animal or something like that, the presence of the animal, you know, is walking around the room or something. It, then it's, it's a question like, well, but it doesn't seem like the child is interacting with the animal, the animal being present. But that's kind of a stretch, right, on an emotional support animal if it's just in the proximity. You have to really look at that as a school. Is there something else then that could be done to support the child that necessarily isn't this animal that that might have some range within the, the school setting? So let's go over here to the chat. Um what if I identify as a chicken? Can I be someone's support animal? Well, Bolo, I, I, I don't think it works that way. According to the one, um, I don't know, policy or something that I read is it, it, uh, I, I don't think so. But, um, but, but there's a lot of questions, right? That that kind of have to be that have to be considered on this. Um, but you do bring up a point, though. What if someone said, like? I need my parent. I encountered this in a school district once. It was a child and the parents said, my child is very, has a very high level of anxiety during lunchtime. And if I'm present, right, I can help to facilitate discussions with other students. And, and the parent was very insistent that they be present during lunch and that it would decrease the anxiety of their, their child. And, and the school was, was saying, you know, we don't one see this in your student that they're manifesting anxiety during lunch. Um, and second, we do have staff, right? And there are other students there with this child. Um, so the school in that case said, no, you know, your parent, we're not going to approve you coming in to be with your child during lunch because we, we objectively do not see any uh, reason that you need to do that, um, so that got to be a little bit uh, a little bit complicated. This, but I think the school did involve actually its lawyer on that. But it was coming down to, you know, documentation and, you know, the school's saying the child functions in this this setting uh, is interacting with other kids and, um, so, let's see, uh, it's Swamp Dog. Be good. It got a real few deer to work on in the morning. Whoa. Oh, Jeffrey uh, Donner would have loved to have you use this. You know, Jeffrey. So there's what a new, I don't know, Netflix or whatever, but Jeffrey Dahmer, when he was uh, killed in prison, that's like two miles from my house. <laughs> so 
yeah, that's where he was. The prison is just two two miles away. So, um, yep. So take it easy, Swamp Dog. So yeah, see your new comments. Um, apologize for the dark humor. No, I I get. It. And again, you know we in working with the students. I mean, this is a one by one, and it's it's very genuine. And I think. Um, I, especially, especially when I had an administrator who was saying, you know, I'm, I have a support animal and, you know, I was say I'm a war veteran and this is to, you know, support, um, um, manifestations of PTSD and, and so, you know, I looked at things uh, differently, you know, after, after that, I think my, you know, when I go through this, right, is, is there's a few things I want to point out to students. One is I think people believe they can go down. I mean, if this is very rare, like let's say you've been an administrator five years and this is the first time it happens in, in your meeting with a parent, you're probably going to ask a lot of questions that legally you're not permitted to ask. Or even to say like, you know, could the, can we see the animal do this? And I mean, it could even be saying like, we want to, we want to know so we can understand how we can interface with, I don't know, but I don't quite have that figured out. But um, so I, I think people, and also this thing where people, you know, are trying to, I often, this is where I often see this case study go. People will say, I'm going to ask for the vaccination records. I'm going to ask for the document of saying where this animal's trained, right? Um, and I'm going to, you know, want to see the animal, you know, doing some of these things. And it's like, can't do that. That's for the service, you know, service animal. And then emotional support animal, um, some people just will say, our policy doesn't allow it or we don't have policy, we'll say no, right? And I say, well, you know, but if, again, if you just flat out say no, you're going to, that would not hold up during a challenge to your Department of Education or your, um, Office of Civil Rights. So, um, yeah, it is. Again, prep. It, it's not common in schools, but it's much more common than it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, and it's on a trajectory where it's becoming more common. Service animals. That's been pretty stable in schools, um, in my perception, right? Comfort animals is is increasing, um, not just in schools, but I think in society. So, like, what do you, uh, you know, how do you how do you make this these considerations? You know, what and and what what legitimately like what if you did say this specific animal right was um, that they couldn't control it right? It's a rabbit, or it's you know, it's a running around, or a you know, whatever it is, a snake, they, they, they get, it gets loose. Right. And we have to spend three hours looking for it or something like that. So, you know, what if there's this, this part of saying, you know, this, this student doesn't have control over this animal, you know, like a dog is trainable a snake, probably not. Um, so I, I read a few articles where a student had brought in a comfort, emotional support snake, right. And the snake got away from the student and it 
took a while to find the snakes. So, you know, that happened a couple of times, right? As a school administrator, you could say, well, you know, this, this, there's an issue here and the, and the school is not obligated then to have somebody assigned to that snake to make sure it doesn't get, it doesn't get loose. Uh, so it, these things kind of get complicated, right? Um, so the, so bolus and comfort animal. So the, the term, the legal term is emotional support animal that qualifies under the Housing Act and 504, which is disability access, right? So um, comfort animal isn't, is usually, that's kind of synonymous, but it's, it's, a, it's different. You actually have to say emotional support animal. And that means you, the person has to have a disability and the animal has some impact that mitigates the manifestation of the consequences of the disability, right? Like uh, breakdowns or something like that. Um, so, so yeah, I would, I would probably immediately like in this too, I would, I would, you know, make sure that we're using the term emotional support animal and, you know, service animal, like those would be the two. Cause I think comfort animal falls kind of a little bit outside of that. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, uh, so support Cobra. So, right. Obviously, like you'd say, you know, that would be intimidating and it could hurt other people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so what if, what if you have, let's do this scenario. What if a student does bring a snake to school? It's a non-venomous snake, you know, and another student has, is in class and suddenly the student is just terrified because they have a snake phobia, right? So now how do you do that? How do you work with that as a school where the student is bringing the support animal to mitigate their anxiety, but now another student who has a, a, a even a diagnosis, right? Where they are, whatever it is, where, where you're terrified of snakes. And the student is now saying, I can't even be in this classroom because the student brought in the snake. So how do you work through that? So that's another part, um, you know, to has to be brought into this mix, right? Um, and that's, you know, that is interesting. I don't know how you would go through that. I mean, I actually, I could change this case study down the road and kind of make it a snake and, and have this. What is the fear if you're afraid of snakes? Um, is the fear of snakes called? It's um, ophidophobia. Let's bring this up here. Ophidophobia, overwhelming fear of snakes. So, yes. So, you know, you could have a, you could have a variable on this case study. Like you could, instead of making it the the comfort bag, it could be it's a snake. But another student has is diagnosed, you know, phobia this of of these snakes and of, of snakes in general, right? So it's anxiety disorder. So it's a qualified disability. So what do you do now? You have one student who has a disability and saying, "I have a right to emotional support animal," which is a snake and it provides me benefit. You have another student saying, 
I have a diagnosed anxiety disorder of snakes. And now you introducing the snake into the setting, I'm, I'm manifesting anxiety or I'm unable to be here. How do you make, how do you, how do you work that as a school leader? Right? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, this isn't, that would be an interesting twist on a, on a case study. Um, because both parties could argue their, their standing under 504 disability law um, and also kind of access to education, free and appropriate public education. There could be arguments on both sides of that. And this, this is something that would actually be really good. I tell my students, I'm like, always have a notebook next to your desk. And there'll be things that come up that aren't very frequent issues, but they're going to be very significant issues. And this could be one of them, right? And like you want to probably assemble a list of 10 items that you're going to ask your school attorney to opine on, you're basically to, to give an opinion and present to like your school administration or your at a, at a staff, you know, development day or something like that. So things you're providing ahead of time. Usually like a question, oh, custodial parents, like, you know, how does that work from a legal side? But this could be, this could be a question of saying, and, and you wouldn't even have to, to I mean, it, it could be like, right, any, any kind of comfort animal. Like if it's a service animal and somebody has a fear of dogs, that doesn't, doesn't really work. But, but actually you, maybe you could bring that up, right? Someone has an anxiety disorder because they were attacked by a dog, right, at one time. Now, there's a lot of protections provided under service animals, so you're not going to be able to say, well, this person can't have a service animal. But there is some argument there of saying, of, of, of considering of, okay, like you've, this dog is there and this child has is, is an anxiety disorder because they were attacked by a dog and they're receiving therapy or something. And so how do you, how do you make this work? Um, are you forcing one student to be in a different class? Are you changing schedules or, but that this will be a good case study for a lawyer to present to a school. And I think that the, I think the snake one is, is kind of an interesting one, right. Of saying, you know, what if a student does have this existing anxiety of, of snakes? So, um, yeah, it's, Um, what is going on here? So let's see here. There's a copperhead snake. Uh, Ding Ding saying albino snakes are beautiful. Um, so yeah. Um, so the what. What a school is kind of tasked with to figure this out, um, it's really on the school's shoulders, right? The school cannot call down to the State Department of Education and say, like, here's the situation. Like, what what do you think we should do? They'll say, figure it out on your own. <laughs> they're not gonna, they're not gonna tell you. They might have some very vague guidance on like a website, but they're not gonna tell you. Um, so you're really on your own as a school with this. Um and that's why, you know, I think we saw the one policy from the school in Utah, which basically said we're going to call our attorney and our whatever our attorney says we're, we're going to to go with on this. So, um, 
but yeah, I that's this is a type of thing that can can become it can have a, be very emotional. It can consume a lot of time and resources in a school. It can be very divisive. It can be, and other times it just won't be. You know, you know the peg will start, and the school will say, "Oh, you know, we're going to accept the IP, and the, the peg will be here in a couple of days." And it's just pretty standard. The pig's there, but um, but yeah, these this is. And when students go back and they're like, oh, we don't have a policy for this, or like they'll, they might even find like their ADA policy for a service animal is is very old, or I think in some cases they might even say like, we don't even have one. So, um, but yeah, uh, let's see. This is Z saying, Alabama fugitive who fed meth to pet a tax squirrel named, whoa, wow, snake is looking good now, so. Oh my goodness. Um, emotional support, a snake. It's ting ting. Yeah. Wow. So the path of least resistance for schools is going to be to accept the request from the parent. and. My experience and my perception is, you know, schools are, are pretty, you know, thin on staff. There's a lot of, of battles, right, that it, administrators, you know, dress code and all of these things that, that, that people are, are, you know, dealing with. And this is probably something that no one is going to really get down in the gritty on unless it's really overt, right? <laughs> There's, you can't have a pet porcupine, right? I mean, if it's, if it's not to that level, I would say most schools are going to to go with um, having you know Peggy there. Now I think there's also responsibility of the school when a child gets to be 14 or older, or it can be younger, but to as part of transitioning planning is to see at all levels of support if you can have the student more independent without uh, supports, and that would come into looking at um, possibly decreasing or completely weaning from a comfort animal, right? Um, I think there's there's some responsibility there for a school to have those considerations. But um, yeah, this, so imagine like you're in class and you get, you get this case study and this one, I'll tell you, in the past, it, it kind of goes all over the place although like we talk ahead of ahead of time of you know the things that you can't do you know you can't have the animal demonstrate that so that kind of eliminates that stuff coming up in the um what should i say it, it eliminates that from coming up in the case study discussion because we'll be like well, we, we already addressed this right so but i'll tell you there'll be a lot of students who will say i never thought about this i never once thought about this and, you know, again, I mean, you're administrator in a district of 3,000 kids, right? This is probably going to to cross your path at least more than, than once in your career. Um, so Misty Mrs. Wayne is saying to Coop, it was a boys' night out camping, and he picked up a piece of wood to put on the fire, and one head got under, under it, and he grabbed it along with the wood. A snake, yikes. Wow. 
Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. You know, there's there's this whole thing, too. Like, so I'm in Wisconsin, right? You know, winter gets to be minus 30. Like, how do you, you know, a snake is cold-blooded, right? So what is the mechanism to safely transport the snake on a bus or something, right? So, so the snake doesn't freeze to death. And so, you know, you'd have to be asking these type of questions and you'd have to kind of figure that out. And does the emotional support snake come with the student to extracurricular activities or on a field trip, right? You know, um, what if, right, you're going to, you know, a field trip to a museum or a cave or something like that. Like we have a couple caves around where I'm at and those are kind of popular. A water park, right? Does the, does the snake come to the water park or the, the rabbit or the squirrel or the pig? Like, you know, is it hanging out there at the water park? I mean, you'd have to, these are questions you have to ask, right? Because you, if you were to say, we can have the snake here, but not in these instances, as a school, you'd have to be really solid of saying, you know, because of the risk, right, to the the pig on a, in this environment, right, the, you know, it's an unfamiliar environment, the, the, we don't even know, well, I don't know, then you'd have to check with the environment if they would allow an emotional support pig at a water park, I don't know, but what would you provide to support the student in that setting if you're not going to have the snake come along, or the snake or the pig or something, you could, you know, you'd make your argument, right, of saying, we're going to provide the support, but to have this animal in this unfamiliar setting with this student um, is we can't we can't guarantee the safety, and we actually think this would be very very unpredictable, right? To introduce this pig into this this setting. I mean, what is this pig going to do if the kid is a water park, right? So, which we have a lot of water parks like next to me. I mean, these are all like these are actual questions you have to go through as the school and and problem solve through these. Like, what do you do on a field trip? Um, and again, if you just say no, just saying no on something like this will largely throw up a flag with your Department of Public Construction or Office of Civil Rights. If you say no after you've deliberated and you've had documentation that you contemplate, like you came up, you know, in this setting, you know, it's an unfamiliar setting, and it's it's um, so we're going to to do this instead, right? We're going to bring pictures of the the pig for the the child, and and we'll have somebody you know there. But uh, so then I think um, you know you you have your your due diligence, like your process down. Um, but yeah, so um. So Bolo's saying, I got in trouble for saving my brother's life for killing a southern diamondback rattlesnake. Wow. So to me, that would seem like the law of necessity, right? Which Lisa Lenny is going to talk about. Like, you know, by killing the snake, you might have saved your brother. But, right, maybe it's illegal to kill that snake. So, um, yeah, wow. So, whoa. That is, that is some interesting, interesting stuff. So... Peggy, Peggy, the, the comfort pig. Um, so how I, how I deliver these, these case studies um, is we go through, there's, there's a basically kind of a rubric, right? So, you know, you have to, 
you're going through discretion, your professional discretion, the best interests of the student, and ultimately, I guess, the best interest of others, right? Um, and then you're looking at your board of education policies. So those things come in. You're looking at laws. So here I actually cite this out to ADA law. So you have to consider ADA law. And then I throw like a curveball in there, like, you know, citing something like airline regulations, but yeah, and say, you know, but but people sometimes will will latch onto that and say, well, here, you know, look at what this says. Well, that's not a school setting though, right? And then the last one is induction. What do you do if um, you know, the the teacher so Peggy comes into the homeroom and all of that in you know elementary school, but then the teacher is gone, is sick for three days. So now it's a substitute teacher and it's a different one every day. Like, how did they know what the routine is with Peggy the comfort pig? You know, like when the pig goes to the bathroom and you know other things, right? How do how do they know what's your induction process um, for staff and for students? Um, with this this comfort pig. So that's something that, you know, doesn't get thought of enough. Now we'll just take it off a of comfort pig, but let's say a student has um, um, a food allergy, right? And like a peanut allergy. And if they are exposed to peanut butter, they could have anaphylactic reaction and could die. So that's like all the teachers been in service on this. The teacher knows how to use an EpiPen and all of that. But then there's a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher isn't aware that Kyle, you know, has this this food allergy, right? That this that it's this severe. And then, um, you know, there's some situation where the student is exposed to peanut butter, right? And and they're starting to have this reaction. And maybe the kids are like, "Oh my goodness!" Like he's having a, and the teacher doesn't know, right? So it's the induction process. So we keep going through that. That's, and that's hard because people, staff turns over very f frequently in schools. Um, and right, you know, you might just call a sub that morning who just walks into that classroom. And so what is your induction process? Probably not, not as intense for like Peggy the Comfort Pig or Rudy the Rooster or Sammy the Snake. But um, so when I became a special education director, you know, many years ago. I, I never thought of this stuff. I, I thought service animal, I, I anticipated I might encounter that. And there was a few few times, I mean, in my career, but yeah, two or three. But I never, I mean, never in a class, right, did we ever talk about a comfort animal um, or emotional support animal or like what is, that was never discussed anywhere. So it was, um, and I, what was most prevalent in schools was my last maybe five years as an administrator would be a, a, a therapy dog, right? That the school would, somebody would bring it in as a volunteer or else the school would contract with somebody and they would bring it in. And, and it was generally used to go from classroom to classroom. And, and uh, um, you see this in hospitals too, right? And, and kids can pet the dog and hang out with the dog and it would... Um, they, you know, the, the claim rate would be that it would decrease, um, anxiety and it could also increase like social interaction and stuff like that. And I think there's something to that. Right. But, but that was more what I saw. It wasn't like it was assigned to one person. It might be, you know, oh, you know, the, the, the dog is visiting, you know, the first grade classroom for the first two hours of the day. And then it's going over to the third grade classroom and, and then, you know, it'll be back next week on a Thursday or something. So. 
you know, that, that stuff kind of, you know, exists, but, um, so Ron is saying, um, did Peggy ride the bus, go to lunch with the kid, all normal routine stuff. So this, this is just a scenario. There wasn't, there wasn't actually a Peggy, the comfort pig. Now there was a Rudy, the rooster that's authentic. Um, there was, but there wasn't a Peggy, the comfort pig. I went with Peggy because, um, I wanted to, you know, like if you're going like with a peacock or a rooster or a snake, I think it gets a little more positional, but like a, a pig, I mean, a lot of people believe, well, it's kind of like a dog, right? And probably not that big. And so it, it kind of forces people to focus their argument a little bit, bit better, but, but hypothetically here, you could, you could, the, the parent could be saying, yeah, Peggy's going to be on the, the bus. So what is your process for that? And they could say, you know, the animal has to be seated or maybe has to be in a carrier while on the bus. Like, what if you contract with your bus company and you don't own your buses? A lot of schools just contract their busing. So suddenly your contract company is like, no way, we're not doing that. Well, you know, now do you have to provide individual transportation? Um, that could that could be part of the mix. Um, or are you paying, are you reimbursing the parent to drive the, uh, the, um, the cover pig? So... Let's go over here. All right. So, all right. And hang on here. Um, I will be back in just a moment. that one short so um yeah i am i am i am back so um let me go back to the the chat hey it's jordan from sk so hey and loaded all right locked and loaded so appreciate it thumbs up um so let's see here um At the safe tech. Uh, so no, actually, unfortunately, we have a we have a very sick cat, and I don't I don't think the cat has a, a lot of time left with us. So yeah, we have a unfortunately a cat that was at the vet today and is not doing very well. So uh, it's kind of a kind of a you know when when you have that in a house right where a pet uh, that you've had for quite a while 
isn't doing well and you're just kind of aware that it's it's not on a good trajectory it's that does have a feel throughout the whole house so yeah it's kind of a kind of a sad thing but uh so we're just trying to manage it the best that we that we can right now so um so yeah i i've had i've had um I didn't have a lot of experiences, you know, with, with uh, service animals or with comfort animals, but the more I teach the classes, the comfort animals are, are more prevalent, right? That people bring that up and not only for students, but also for staff of saying, you know, that again, a staff member is bringing a comfort animal with them into schools. So, um, yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, well, I appreciate you guys. Yes, so just we've had so we have three cats and um, the we have one one cat whose health isn't good, and we adopted him uh, ten years ago, and uh, and but uh, probably you know the last like year, and uh, you know of course with animals you know you kind of get to a point where things tend to go a little bit a little bit faster. Uh, so you know we've over years have had many many animals, but. Uh, yeah, like I said, we'll just we just kind of take it a, a a day a day at a time here. So, um, but uh, but yeah, no, Bojangles is actually um, it's a it's one of our other cats. So, uh, Bojangles is is doing good. So, thanks, Ron. Um, so, yeah, service um, service animals again, ADA probably would think, you know, guide dog, you know, 20 or 1920s, you know, German shepherds trained as, as guide dogs. Um, that was uh, pretty, pretty common after World War One. Um, and now emotional in 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, solidified, right? If you have a service animal, it can be with you, you know, wherever you would go if you're shopping or to a restaurant or things like that. And now we have this new area, emotional support animal, and that's kind of grown to have more attention, right? Like, um, uh, you know, it is an emotional support animal. We saw the, the couple of years ago, like the peacock, you know, trying to someone trying to bring a peacock on a plane and stuff like that. But but in schools, right, you have to have the big thing in schools, and we always go through this, you know, put it up on the board. Everything is procedural. Like you have to show that you have considered things and you have to document that you have considered requests, right? And you can look at, you know, you can look through your policy, you can look at, you know, whatever and, and write these things down. But it's kind of very rare in schools, like for disability, right? That you can just say yes or no. Like that's, that's really not part of the law. The law is very much that you're considering options and accommodations and not that you always have to go one way or another, but you have to have this process. Um, and, and that's where we spend a lot of time on that. Um, you know, so another example would be, you know, a student is wearing some type of shirt and it's considered to cause a disruption in school because there's some logo logo on it or something, or, you know, whatever, um, you know, you'd have to, you can't just say, hey, you know, get out of here because your your shirt has a, what, you know, middle finger on it or, or something like that or or whatever. 
um, you would have to to look and and say like, did this cause a disruption? You know, you could you'd have to interview students, interview staff, and was this disruptive to the school environment, or was this like First Amendment free speech or something like that? So there has to be some process. I mean, that that one's probably a little more overt, but um, but yeah, um, and there are. So the dress code, there's another scenario, and we'll get into that at some point, because um, I just updated that one, actually, my dress code um, case study. And that one is going to really be a challenge for the students. Um, there are some school districts, by the way, who who largely have just said they've given up on dress code. Um, and so we kind of go through some of these you know, bigger districts, right? who just say, um, unless it is like extremely overt, you know, we're not measuring, right, that your, um, you know, how long your shorts are or, you know, all of that stuff. Like we're, we're, I mean, where they used to have that in handbooks, like they just get rid of that. They, because they're like, we're just not going to fight this, right? Uh, we're not going to get tied into this. We're, we've got other areas that we have to focus our resources on and, um, so it's kind of this this thing too of like dress code has really become um, less less enforced un unless it's like political statement type apparel, then it gets attention. Like if it's apparel that's too revealing, I guess um, whatever that doesn't get nearly the scrutiny of something that would be a, that would I guess be making a political statement so anyway we you know we go through that case study and and there are some others so i'll bring in some of those other other case studies and then uh peggy the comfort pig I'll, I'll also touch base and let you know how that one went um but let's go over here to uh um to the chat so um yeah um bacon is um CNT won his appeal for his stream last night. I was, I was, I was watching. I think I posted it to your stream, and then like ten seconds later, it went off. So, all right. Um, so the sun is going micro nova, right? Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, and that was talked about again, probably in school, right? Of you know, at some point, like the sun's going to go micronova and then everything's kind of done. And, and like, it was really like, because then you're kind of thinking, well, and what's the purpose of doing anything, right? And they're like, well, it's like four four billion years down the road. But even still, then it was kind of like, well, it still kind of puts a damp damper on right now. It's, it's a rain cloud over like what I'm doing today at recess. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. Um, dun, dun, dun. so I am, I've seen that on the news, Jordan. So, um, guess we'll see where, where things go with, with that. Um, I mean, that would be, that would be something we wouldn't address in class. I'll tell you what comes up in class though. Um, I didn't, I didn't initiate this, but it came up in last year's class as, as a discussion. One of the students said, I have, I have a 
you know, Dr. Brown, can I ask a, a question of just everybody in class, right? If they, what do you, do you have any policy or any process if a teacher has an OnlyFans or similar type account, right? Do you have any, any process for that? There was a school that, you know, last year they had a, I don't know if it was necessarily a, a policy, although it would seem it would have to be a policy procedure or whatever, but it was saying that if, if that the person did have that and it, it was, it could be considered a disruption to learning, right? If other students became aware of it, I don't know, but um, it was, it was delineated out in their handbook um, of, of, I don't, Again, I don't know because I didn't I didn't bring that forward into a case study, but it did it did come up in a couple staff or a couple students in the class said we do have something to that extent. And I don't know if it was pe if people were using their genuine name, right? And you know, you're a teacher and you also have this this account then. Um, but see, there's a question to bring up honestly for your school lawyer, right? To um, and, and to remove gender and, and things from, but just have a, a question in general, you know, if there is um, an adult content site that a staff member has, um, and is, is there something then that is, does there some impact that that has upon the person's employment in the, in the district? So, Again, these are areas in my class we don't get into, um, and that was a student who had had asked that question of kind of the others in the class, and then it, you know a couple of kind of said kind of yes, or others just said you know we don't we don't have anything with it. But that is that would be something that would be worth asking your school lawyer uh, what to opine on that. Um, so any any kind of staff. Uh, members. So, um, so yeah, well, let me, well, here's my, this is my, uh, this, so this is one of the coolest things. So it holds a cell phone. It's, this is, it's called ready cam, but it just screws into a tripod or I also have a bendable tripod. So like if we're on vacation, it's easy to like wrap it around a branch on a tree or something to get a family photo. But, um, this thing, you put the phone in, you know, sideways, right? So it goes in and uh, and then it's it's cool. Like it's, it's adjustable and I got this off of Amazon, but I've used this thing a lot, um, especially on vacations when it's easy to put this in a pocket or, or put the smaller bendable tripod like in a car and you just get out somewhere, right? And you're like, oh, like, you know, if we could get a picture, well, you know, there's a, there's a, stop sign while well, I can wrap the, you know, little, you know, flexible thing around that and it can, can hold the camera. That's really worked well. And then this thing is, uh, has a, some kind of rubber grip type stuff here, but this is pretty cool. It's going to, the tripod is different. I've had a number of these men. I have a couple of these Manfrotto tripods that I used for my, my lights and stuff, but they're really well made. Um, but yeah, this, this thing, just by the way, like on vacation, like that is just a, a win-win. Because, you know, the old days, right? Oh, you're like, can you take my phone or camera and take a picture of us? Like, you know, and, but, uh, so it's JLM, hey, buddy. Hey, JLM. Um, 
So hello, JLM. Um, Jordan's saying, we're going on a family vacation soon. Thanks for the tip doc. I've used it for a number of years. It's really cool. Thanks for the wrench back. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so, yeah. Um, just came from Semi-Gogus Global Political Top. Wow. Talk. Wow. So, yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, I don't want to overstay my welcome and... A couple things going on here is I'm having some concrete work done. Um, so kind of like um, it need it needs to be done. There's a concrete slab alongside my garage, which has been failing for a couple of years. But now it's getting to the point where it's interfering with the foundation on that side of the garage. And that's not a good thing. And, you know, I'm just like, something has to be done. So, you know, I had it checked out and stuff and kind of confirmed. And I knew this like last year too. And, and so now just had to like make the commitment. And part of it was too, like, I'm, I'm really like not sure how many people are going to be working, you know, in, a, in another month or you wait till spring with the way the economy is like, you know, is, are people going to be around to do these? Are more businesses going to be out of business? So, um, you know, I do have, I do have that, um, concrete slab and then some foundation uh, stuff that's going to be done here in the next week. It'll start on Wednesday. So that's good, but it's also kind of like a lot to think about because it's a pretty substantial uh, project. And, you know, I don't, um, is link dropping okay? Um, yeah, as long as it's an okay link, right? <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but yeah. And, but yeah, so, so I'll be glad when it's done and and everything and and hopefully stuff will turn out really well. And I think Ting Ting doesn't want a wrench. I think um Ting Ting asked not to have a wrench. So um but that's yeah, so like a week from now, that actually the week from a week from now the concrete should be poured. Everything will be prepped this upcoming week starting on Wednesday, and then next a week from today the concrete will be poured. So yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things, right? Like when you're a homeowner and this is kind of a bigger project, I'm like, oh, goodness. Um, but I think one of the biggest the biggest uh, drivers of this right now is honestly, I just do not know in spring, like if any, who's going to be around to do this? Like I've got my local concrete guy and, you know, we're in a good place, you know, to do this and the concrete, you know, company coming with the truck and all of that stuff. But um, you know, I'm, I'm just not convinced the economy is going to be in a better place in spring than it is now. And I don't want to be dealing with this in April, May, and June of having like nobody available to do this type of work. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, that's kind of like, like a big thing here. And you know, when it's your house, it's, it's kind of this, I don't know. It's, it's a, there's a little bit of a different feel, even though it's like a outside and then it impacts the garage. It's not like having, you know, we had our bathrooms like totally ripped out and redone and stuff like that, you know, or that, that's a little more, well, it's a lot more invasive, but, um, but anyway, so that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of, I've been kind of thinking about that, you know, the last, the last couple of days. So plus like, you know, as we, as we close up here, like just, just the crazy, like, world 
the state of the world, right? We talked about this and kind of the, the world economics and, and things like that. Um, it's, it's really hard to, to see where this might turn around, at least for me, like to look at this and say, holy smokes, you know, like I, I, I don't see where these kind of economies and stuff are going to get back on their, their feet. So, you know, hopefully that'll happen, but in the short term, it's, it's pretty hard to, to see where, Oh, like this company, you know, they're starting to turn it around over here or something like that. And, um, I, I really don't, I really don't see that. So, um, yeah, I don't know, but well, for those of you who are thinking about, Hey, how can I support doc? Right. How can I help doc out? So, um, this is my book, School of Errors, the most honest book written about the $3 billion school safety industry. And it's available in hard copy, paperback, ebook, and also audiobook that I narrate it. So it's six hours. Audiobook is $10.99. In some places, they sell it for more. I think if it's Audible, they always have a different price on there because they try to put it with your Audible package. But um, if you go to downpour.com, it's like $10.99. So yeah, and there's a lot about the 9-11 Harbor Rescue, and it's a good book. Um, the Velocity of Information is a book I wrote that released in April, and that's what does how do humans function in chaos? It lasts three months or longer, and you know, also what do you do if you start to see people kind of succumbing to the effects of long-term chaos? Like right now, like uh, people are just like I can't take this anymore. Like, what are some approaches to help people through that and to keep transitioning forward? So you know, this is a wonderful book. It will be out in April in audiobooks. So, and if you've read either of those, please post a review because, you know, the review, the reviews that are there uh, have been really helpful, but there haven't been a lot of new reviews. So that is always a great thing. So um, let me check the chat here one last time. And um, so, I'm downloading and burning physical. Yeah, you can lose your your playlist and and stuff like that. So, I had something really strange happen in the last couple of days with a, one of my Google documents that I use um, for like class stuff. It was the formatting got all messed up in it, and I and I couldn't. I like I kept going back to earlier versions, and and then I finally found like a version where it was okay. But I have no idea, and I couldn't undo. Um, the formatting. So I just had to go back to this earlier version and then kind of like update from there. So that was really a pain. It was and like it never happened before. Um, but I was like, well, I kind of depend on this document a lot. It's one I use quite a bit in class. So I made a copy of it, you know, and I realized I hadn't made a copy of it in a while and I parked that over in another file. And it's kind of one of the risks, right, of running like on a Google Doc is you don't really have control of what's in your, your file, right? The hypothetically, they could just take it from me at any time. So, um, so this is saying runway. I have to say your channel has taught me a lot, bro. Well, th appreciate that. Also very informative. Thanks for your time. So, and you know, we, again, we have, uh, two weeks from today, we have, um, Megan Usui, who's going to be on the, the show and she is a, a fitness professional and we're going to focus on, right. We go back to March of 2020, if there was a national campaign on fitness, what are some things that might have worked? And she, 
we'll say like, here's what might've worked for younger people, or here's what might've worked if you had like a family trying to like, you know, work on fitness or like older people. And, and, and she'll say, here's, you know, here's some things that I've done or I've seen. And, and, um, and I, and I think, you know, I wrote about it in, in the philosophy of information, there was an opportunity to do that. And, there, and it should have happened in March or April of 2020 because fitness increases immunity. And, and that's, you know, there, that's a, um, what is it? an axiom, right? I, I believe it's, there's no, there's really no questioning that, right? So there's numerous medical studies, right? And you would want to increase your immunity if you're trying to, to be as resilient as you could to a disease. So um, why didn't we have this campaign? So I wrote about that and I'll kind of talk about it, but I'm going to, Megan's going to talk about, here's how that might've looked like here could have been strategies. And, and she's also going to, I mean, I talked to her and, and there were things I had no idea. And she's like, here's what works with this type of person, or here's what works. And, and I'm like, I did, you know, I didn't know that. So like, you know, Megan is somebody you bring on to this committee and, you know, you, you have like, you know, seven to 10 days and you say, we're going to roll out a national fitness campaign. And like, what should we do? So that's going to be really cool. And then uh, Lisa Lenny is coming back on the show. Um, and so well, look at this CNT, a placing cells. Yeah. Wow. I don't know, man. I, I do not know. Um, Tito's first sweater, uh, whatever's good for you, Coop. So, um, so let, let me put this. So this is a question from Jordan. Do you not get equal compensation whether you make a sale through Audible or physical copy? So my distributor is Findaway Voices, which is owned by Spotify, which is Findaway Voices, I think, is the biggest in as far as like number of sites they they distribute to, including Audible, like the libraries, like Audible doesn't distribute, I believe, to libraries. So um, I get a I get a certain percentage and that percentage. So like if Audible charges more, I still get the percentage. So I would get more, but right, like I want I price my book at a certain level because I think that's where people would buy it. So if a vendor takes it and they're like, well, we want to sell it instead of $10.99 for like $14.99. You might not get as pe many people to buy it, right? And I don't have control. A lot of the places will sell it for whatever I list it as, but there is this thing where they can sell it for more, but then it's proportional. So whatever percentage I would have got off of $10.99, I get off of $14.99. So, and I didn't know that until, you know, you get into audiobooks, but that's pretty standard up front, especially whenever you see a book on Audible, um, if that book is listed in other places, it's probably not going to be as much in those other places as it is on Audible because Audible is going to try to convince people to use their, their membership right to obtain it, which I, I get, right? And I understand the positionality Audible has. Um, so, um, and then also like my books are available in some libraries and, you know, more and more every day, right? that uh, they get the audiobook version. And, and then that's a whole different kind of formula. When you go in and you set this up, like with uh, the distributor, it's um, so much they buy. And then there, I think there's like a download cost of so many, so much amount of money per, per download and 
that all kind of gets tracked. I don't do any of that. I just kind of get the statement every month of saying, boom, here it is. So, um, but yeah, so, so the physical, so the physical books, so audiobooks are, I, that's just kind of me and my distributor or the distributor, which is Find Away Voices. Physical books go through my publisher. I own the rights to the audiobooks, the publisher, and I share the rights to the physical books. So I have no, they completely set the price for the physical books and they market them and do all of that, right? Um, I have much more control over audiobooks. I have no input at all on the price for a physical book or ebook. No input. That is completely the publisher that does it. And they sell internationally, right? So um, all things to, like you learn, right? You When you publish a book through a publisher, like I signed a contract, you know, and we go through and, and um, you know, and you, you understand how things, uh, you know, things work out. But, uh, but that's a, it's a good question. I mean, sometime, you know, I could do a show on what it what it's like to to publish like through a publisher because there's a there was a ton of stuff like that i learned and just like the trying to to have somebody sign you onto a contract where they're like here's money to to write like you know it's and then um how you have to do a proposal and and what the timelines are like and then um what this whole thing called proofing proofing isn't proofreading it's when they actually lay out the manuscript and then they send it to you and say like or they have some questions or you know whatever and and velocity of information was a was a very technical proof because when they were laying out images in here and let me try to find a couple of them um we weren't on the same page the publisher and i so <laughs> so this for example i had to be very adamant that the diagram boo, was on the one side and the description was on the other. But then they'd say, oh, there's this white space underneath. I'm like, I get that. But this is this is made to be this big. Don't make this smaller. There's It needs to be this big. And then it also goes back to left, right, left, right. The, if When you read the book, you understand the road to victory, the modern museum of art, right? That you had images in World War II in New York, right, this art museum that were spaced um, like five feet apart. So you'd have to like leave one image and then as you, and you'd go to another and, the, and the, the thought was you'd have to think about it. You'd have to contemplate it. It didn't all run together. Like you'd have to, to do this. And I said, there's, so like when you see this in the book, it's actually a subtle nod to the road to victory, right? And they're like, well, you know, and I'm like, no, like seriously, like if, you know, people, people who read and, and get into the book, like there's a reason they'll see this later because I mention it. And then when they see this, it there's there's a effect I'm trying to accomplish here. So they agreed to it. Not they weren't thrilled about it, but <laughs> they agreed to it and it seemed to work out okay. Um so hey best intermission short. Well that's thanks to Swamp Dog you made that for me. It's a Swamp Dog. Um so yeah. Um, what are we doing here? So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've got a couple of shows, and again, we'll go through some additional, you know, case study type stuff. And I, I have a show I want to do on, and I've been thinking about this one for a while. Like, does it? Um, I don't know how I would exactly word this, but um, should I teach? Should I be a part-time professor? Something like that, right? Just simple. Should I be a part-time 
professor, which basically I am, and I've been for 19 years. Um, I did that when I was a school administrator, and then after I retired out of that, I continued to do that. And I would say, like, if you have, if you have access to, you know, some post-secondary institution, whether that's a community college, technical college, four-year, or you know, grad, whatever it is, and you know, you've got a skill set, and they're like, hey, you know, we're looking for people, and and come in here. Like, I'm a big fan of that. I think that's awesome. I th- I I love having the ability to to do that. And you know, I started out kind of early in my career before I really had a lot of kind of credentials and things like that and, and, and got into that. And, um, but I think that, I think it gets, I don't know if it gets a bad rap. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but you know, it can be, there's a lot that you can do in that role. And you're also kind of outside of the, the department, you know, the department where you're having to serve on committees and all of that stuff. So, so you, a lot of your time is, isn't going into that type of stuff. It's really just focused on your class stuff. And I mean, I've taught over a hundred classes since, you know, in the last 20 years. And if you, if you also look at it as saying, you know, if I, if I teach a couple classes a year, you know, that the, you have, you kind of set that income aside, right. Of saying it's going to pay my property tax or something like that. Like, I think there's a there's there's also it's it's also like a a good side income on something that you really love to do, um, but I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I see these ads come up you know from time to time of you know looking for somebody to teach you know whatever and it it, it can be anything from you know English to statistics to you know welding to here we go um, and. I think that I think those opportunities are are out there. I've I honestly I've never had a class I didn't like. Um and out of all the students I had, I mean I mean all the students over 20 years, I maybe had one or two, you know, or you know, didn't see eye to eye on some things. That's actually been a long time. I've probably been I was mostly in the statistics classes. I might have the one or two students, but it's very rare. And yeah, it's just it's really it's really something. So I want to talk about that sometime of kind of what that's like, how I, what it means for me, how I prepare for that, um, what the expectations are, and and also I think the the benefits. So, um, Toy Town. So is Toy Town. We'll, we'll have to look into getting Toy Town uh, a wrench here. So let me do the, the. Um, Dun, dun, dun. Uh, um. All right, good. Welcome, John Rice. So, good. All right. Well, I have a I have a pretty full day um, tomorrow on on deck, and then mm-hmm. I'll probably be able to give a couple photos of this this update on this this project. So I'm like, whoa! It's just it's. Kind of weird because it's almost a little overwhelming, like this whole concrete and foundation, you know, thing going on. So, um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think things will be fine. But uh, but yeah, part of it is like you know, it's just the time of year too, because you only have where I live, you a couple of weeks to really get this stuff done. Like you're not doing this once you know winter hits, but. Like it's supposed to be like 70 for most of next week, which would be like ideal. Um, so 
All right. Well, um, yeah. Well, thanks, Ting Ting. And yeah, thanks, everybody. We are doing uh, great for views, subscribers. We are also um, getting closer in the chat to getting the number of watch hours to actually monetize the show. Uh, two weeks from today, you know, um, Megan Asui is coming on the the show and, and uh, you know, Lisa Lenny is coming back in October. And we just got great. And actually, Mike Dahl is coming in. The head of Wisconsin Esports is going to be on the show. Um, you know, Esports and schools, right? He's got a lot of great stuff to share. I, I had interviewed Mike. So, I mean, we've got a lot of cool stuff happening um, here on the show. So, um, so I'm going to take us uh, out here with a couple of our uh, of our commercials and things and wish everybody a very terrific Tuesday. So thank you, everybody. A shout out here. Thank you so much from the Safety Doc Podcast. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident? And what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, The velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The Velocity of Information will teach you how people have done it in history, in the modern day, and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, A brave demonstration of speaking truth to power, School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Hi, everybody. This is the Safety Doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay-home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to My Bellevue Portal and then to Report Gatherings. They've made it convenient. There's a map on the right. You can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's going to be more prevalent. Look for it in your area probably in the next week or two. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning? And so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter. 
But that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that. And chili that you had for breakfast. They were delicious. Thank you for asking. But now I am very gassy. I'm sorry to hear that. very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no. My cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes. The engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday. Mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. Please advise for landing. Flight 019 or 2 miles northeast. Turn left at 90. Maintain 4,800 to establish an approach. Engine 5, dispatch. Pockets of fire all. 